Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. everyone and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701. Woof. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning. How are you? Randy, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Looking forward to the weekend of football. It's only Tuesday, so we've got a little what's better today. <laughs> so, But here we are on Tuesday, and this is what the NFL is all about. This is how the NFL sells people, because on Tuesday, you're thinking about what's going to happen on the weekend. Oh, we can't wait. We're, we're talking about different matchups, what games we're excited about, what players we think are going to show out this weekend. It's awesome. And in addition to that, we're still talking about the mess in Philadelphia. Right. So not only are we looking ahead, <laughs> we're still very emotionally involved in what happened over the weekend. And that has so many tentacles, doesn't it? Because you've got the Philly people. I'm sure that sports radio there is nuts, but you've got New York also. Uh, and then obviously Washington wins and they're just saying, OK, well, we'll see you on the weekend. And it just seems like we're getting more and more tidbits of information. And there's, to your point, there's so many layers, so many tentacles to this because not only are you dealing with the immediate aftermath, we're now getting reports about players having to be held back from Doug Peterson in the locker room after the game. Uh, it, what's his future going to be like in Philly? Yeah. Is it totally secure? But what's going to happen with Carson Wentz? There's just a lot of ripples that are going to happen from this mini earthquake that happened over the weekend. Doug Peterson is going to meet with Jeff Lurie today. And they're in a tough spot because if you have that quarterback, normally with a good quarterback that you can count on, smart organizations take the quarterback rather than the coach like the Rams didn't back in 2003. <laughs> but that's an aside. But they can't get rid of the quarterback. That's their problem. So if you have a quarterback that's going to cost you $60 million against the cap next year and he has a fractured relationship with the head coach, what do you do? It's a very tough spot to be in. And in the same article that I was reading in the Philadelphia Inquirer about players having to be held back uh, from Doug Peterson in the locker room after the game, they also mentioned how distraught Jalen Hurts was mm -hmm. about all of this. So you have the reports, obviously, about Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, Peterson having a fractured relationship beyond repair. Now the guy who potentially is supposed to be the guy is really upset with the head coach as well. It's just a big mess. And it's a mess for a franchise that two years ago won the Super Bowl. Crazy. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Life comes after fast. Randy. <laughs> it sure does. We're going to talk to Cleveland Browns reporter for ESPN.com, Jake Trotter, during this show. We're also going to talk to our friend, the voice of the Billikens, Bob Ramsey, and Frank Schwab of Yahoo is going to talk some NFL with us as well. The Blues got on the ice to start training camp yesterday, and during the day, they learned that their new AHL affiliate, the Springfield Thunderbirds, had opted out of the 2021 AHL season. Doug Armstrong saying, in a statement, all professional sports have been impacted by the inability to open arenas and facilities to their fans. That is particularly true at the minor professional level where fan attendance is the lifeblood of business operations. We look forward to working with Springfield in the 
2021-2022 season. And the Blues have reached an agreement to share the Utica Comets with the Vancouver Canucks. And they aren't going to have as many players at the minor league level this year anyway because they're going to have that six-man taxi squad available for their team. We're still dealing with the ramifications of this pandemic in life, in all walks of business, and especially in sports. We saw this with baseball, with the minor leagues, and now it's affecting hockey. And it... We, we always talk about sports and how much money it generates, and we know that professional owners are dealing with this in a lot of different ways, but this has absolutely decimated minor league sports. It's so sad to see. And really hurt the development of teams. Yes. Young, good teams, are teams that are like Vancouver, that already have young players up at the NHL level, are going to benefit a lot. Young teams in baseball are going to benefit a lot because... For example, a team like the Cardinals that has several older players, Gorman is not going to have an opportunity to advance. Libertor isn't going to have an opportunity. The first-round pick, Jordan Walker, from last year. Because we don't have minor league baseball, those kids aren't going to have an opportunity to ascend. And so you've got Matt Carpenter playing third, and then who's on the horizon? And I really hope that when it comes to the evaluation of these guys, that is something that we all keep in mind mm-hmm. as fans, that their development track was disrupted. Because yeah. we do expect a lot out of young players, especially highly touted prospects. And things are different for them. Things are going to be a lot different for these guys. The Blues, as our show ended yesterday, released their schedule with t- times of games. And as bad as we thought it was going to be, it's actually going to be a schedule that you and I are going to be able to see most of the games. Because that's what we're concerned about, really. Right? It's all about us. <laughs> the fact that we have to get up really early. But I think a lot of people in St. Louis, this was their main concern mm-hmm. when they realized that the Blues were going out west, is that they thought, hey, we have a life. We have kids. We have to get up really early and worry about our days. We can't be staying up for 930 starts all the time. But when we got the schedule, I was pleasantly surprised to see so many 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 830 starts. It really, really worked out for the Blues. And I don't wonder, Randy, if they, in conversations with the league, said, yeah, we'll go out west, but... Maybe just make sure that it's also convenient for us. Maybe yeah. just make sure things work out on our end as well. And it's a nice middle ground. Only three road games start at 9.30. Five of them start at 9 o'clock. A couple of games start at 8.30. And then nine road games start at 8 St. Louis time, 6 Pacific time. And that's what I'm talking about with a middle ground. And then you have nine road games that start at 7 o'clock or earlier. So it's really not that bad. You've got eight games, which you'd have in a normal season, right. that start at 9 or 9.30. We can... Uh, adjust our sleep schedules for eight games. No worries. No question about it. Meanwhile, the Blues did get on the ice and Captain Ryan O'Reilly was asked how different this pause was leading up to a January start as opposed to last year from March to August. Yeah, yeah, it was different, uh, different for sure. Um, You know, I was back in Canada for most of it and, you know, not having a date was kind of tough because usually you kind of, it's very regimented, um, your training schedule. It's like, you know, you're starting in October, um, you know, September is like, you know, you have training camp, you kind of plan it out. So, you know, for the first part of the summer, not having a date was kind of tricky to work around that to kind of stay in shape, but obviously not uh, you know, overdo it. So eventually, um, you know, I think once getting back to here and kind of hearing the rumors of the date floating around, it was kind of nice to be able to turn on the switch a bit and start preparing for that and, and going from there. So it's, uh, it's definitely unique, but it's, uh, it's been good though. 
Michelle, I, I just get the impression that Ryan O'Reilly's always working out. Yeah, 100%. Talks about, talks about overdoing it. Does, doesn't he always overdo it? Yeah, what is Ryan O'Reilly's <laughs> version of putting it into overdrive? Because anytime that we would do shows out at Centene, it doesn't matter if it was the NHL All-Star break, it doesn't matter if it was an off day, he was always out on the ice working right. out. And it wasn't for the media, it was, wasn't was for to make a statement, it was genuinely because he's constantly out there grinding and trying to better himself. But I do think in regards to the break, it probably was difficult for these guys not to know a start date because so many years of their lives, they're they're ingrained to condition a certain way. They are saying, okay, when the calendar hits this this date, this is when we're going to start working on conditioning. This is when we're doing X. This is when we're doing Y. But I also think comparatively to last year when everything was new and we were dealing with this shutdown that no one had ever dealt with before, at least they have some sort of experience with a different type of a pause and they know how to approach it from that mental aspect. And it's going to be, as we've talked about, a lot of different looking Blues team in 2021. And Poho Doug Armstrong was asked about the Blues window of opportunity to win a cup. A couple of years ago, he said we opened a five-year window. Where is that window now? My thought was we, we said we were opening a window a couple of years ago. That was year two of it. Now we're in year three. So uh, we believe, and I said to the players, that this team is built to compete this year. This team is 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 constructed to to compete with the best teams and play for a championship uh, and that doesn't happen around the league uh, every year for every organization so you know we we believe we put ourselves in a good spot but it you know obviously it has to get done on the ice or it doesn't really matter but if you look at the the age bracket of our of our core players they're in that you know late 20s to to early 30s and and this is the prime of their career and and we hope to have a, a team that can compete and, and fight for for the top spot. Obviously, you, you can't win the Stanley Cup unless you make the playoffs. So we have to get to that. That's our first hurdle is putting ourselves in a spot to, to get into the tournament and then anything can happen. But uh, we believe we can compete with a lot of teams right now. And uh, we just have to take that belief and put it on the ice. Michelle, I I think I'll be forever satisfied because of the cup the Blues won in 2019. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of other people that are greedy about getting more Stanley Cups, I do hope the Blues can win within the next three years, within that window before it closes. Yeah, and count me among the greedy, just because they're capable of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when when we look at the Cardinals, I think it's a different story. But when I look at the Blues, they're in this position because of the way that Doug Armstrong, as he just said, constructed the, constructed this team. He has planned for this. He has very intentionally put together a team that is built to go for it. Mm-hmm. They are not sitting back. They're not saying, oh, because of the pandemic and the financial situation, we couldn't get it done with Alex Petrangelo. And without the captain, we're going to take a few years, evaluate the young guys on this team, see who can ascend to things. We lost Vladimir Tarasenko. We lost Alex Steen. No, it's, hey, yes, we lost these very critical pieces to our prior success, but we have reloaded and we are ready to go. So when Doug Armstrong takes that aggressive approach and he puts together on paper a team that I view as a group of guys that can absolutely compete for a Stanley Cup, Put me in the group with the greedy because they're capable yeah. of it. They, they are, but then you look at how tenuous it is. If Cogliano scores for Dallas in Game Seven, or Jamie Ben scores uh, in in 2019, or if if the hand pass game does have a, a, an emotional effect, there are so many things that have to go right for a team to win a Stanley Cup. Right. You can be the best team, and if everything doesn't go your way, you still don't win it. And I think the Blues had a couple of years like that where they were, they were yeah <laughs> where, where, where like they that, right? were arguably one of the two or three best teams in the league but 
weird things happened and they didn't win. That's that's I think the difference is I expect them to compete for a cup while also acknowledging that to win a Stanley Cup, a, a tremendous amount of luck also has to come your way. It's true. It's the truest and most exciting form of Darwinism yeah. <laughs> that the, only the strongest will survive, you know, right. and I, I completely understand that they might not get it done, but I appreciate them going for it, knowing oh, that yeah. knowing that this window was open and that they still want to keep pushing. And they're going to provide us with some journeys. And like he said, we got to make the playoffs, but I think this is a playoff team. I sure hope so. How about college basketball in the area? First time since 1994 that Mizzou, SLU, and Illinois have all been in the top 25, Illinois now number 12, the Tigers are number 13, and St. Louis U jumps into the top 25 at number 23. March Madness is going to be fun around these parts, Randy. It's going to be great, and all of March Madness will be played in Indiana. Some games will be played in Bloomington and West Lafayette, and then they'll get to Indianapolis as they get towards the end of the tournament. I love seeing this news yesterday because after losing March Madness, last year, which was such a bummer for so many different reasons. I love that not only are they saying, hey, we're going to have it, but we already have a plan in place. We're already working through all the logistics to make sure that this is executed. And it just needs to happen for you it, again. Not, I mean, not only me, all of us here in St. Louis, whether you're a SLU fan, a Mizzou fan, an Illinois fan, you deserve this. These are programs that you have watched be built and get to this point, and you've withstood some tough years, Mm -hmm. whether you're a fan of any of these programs. So all of us in St. Louis, we deserve this. (laughs) But it hurt your soul a little bit last year when the Illini weren't able to compete for that. Yeah, me specifically? Yeah. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. deserve this, Randy. I really, really do. And Michelle, we all are aware that even though they had an offensive guru in the head coaching position the last couple of years, the New York Jets finished 32nd in offense in 2019, 32nd in offense in 2020. Mm-hmm. Their head coach was Adam Gase. Correct. Nick Saban, head coach at Alabama, reportedly interested in Adam Gase as his new offensive coordinator. I really wonder how much juice the offensive coordinator does have at Alabama. Because these coordinators, they come in. Nick Saban, he rehabilitates their image. Mm -hmm. They get the taste of winning again on them. They all of a sudden become very desirable for any other program, whether it's in the NFL ranks or in college. But Nick Saban's running the show. Everything runs through Nick Saban. I'm sure Mm -hmm. a Steve Sarkeesian or an Adam Gase is going to come up with a game plan. But if it's not going to be effective, Nick Saban is the one that's running the show. No doubt. But when you look at the fact that Jim McElwain got a head coaching job at Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen went to Mississippi State and then Florida. Uh, you've got Sarkeesian. You've got Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's turned out a bunch of offensive coordinators that have be, become head coaches. I believe Jimbo was his offensive coordinator, too. So there's something to be said for going there. Now, the other another name that's being brought up is Bill O'Brien, who makes more sense. Bill O'Brien is a Belichick guy. He's kind of in the brotherhood there, and he could be rehabilitated and maybe go back to college because before becoming the Texans head coach, he was a head coach at Penn State. I wonder about these guys that go to the NFL, what their thought process is about going back to college, because it's a completely different animal. Yeah. Football is football, but it's a it's a different animal. The more I see, unless I've got the ego, like if I'm Dabo, I, I'm going to flirt with the NFL so that I can become one of the guys that has won at the college level and the pro level. But if you're like Nick Saban and you already are turned off, you've been to the NFL and seen it and it's just not happening, 
uh, in the NFL for you, and he's going to be 69 or whatever. But college is so much more stable, even though we see coaches like Tom Herman get fired after four years. The, The guys who at least have their team in the hunt always have a job, like Jim Harbaugh. He, you know, he, Harbaugh's going to be able to stick around. Gary Pinkle stuck, stuck around for 15 years. How, how often does that happen in the NFL? Gary Pinkle, I think, is a rare exception that he was able to build something without the without having to get fired and move around. Jim Harbaugh, let's be very clear, would not have an ounce of security the way that he does if he didn't have the pedigree that he has. If he was not a Michigan man, if he was just some guy that was mm-hmm. hired for that job, he would have been out, what, two years ago maybe? Yeah, but I think that they read the room, too, because it's hard for those programs to find a good head coach. Look at USC and the difficulty they had. They're still stuck with, not stuck with, but they still have Clay Helton. Tom Herman was supposed to be the guy at Texas. It's hard to find the next new guy for the the big programs. It is. It's hard to find the next new guy for a not big program. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Coming up on 101 ESPN, what's better? Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, and Tanner will have your what's better for us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. from you via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 What's Better? And with the What's Better questions, here's Tanner. Alright guys, from the 636, what's better? A snowstorm in the winter or a thunderstorm in the summer? I would go snowstorm in the winter because you're already conditioned to expect bad weather. In the summer, I want to be sitting outside on a patio. I want the sunshine. I want it to be perfect all the time, if not a little hot and humid. In the winter, I'm expecting it to be gross. If they're going to happen at the same level of frequency, like if we're going to have one winter storm a month during the winter and one thunderstorm a month during the summer, give me the thunderstorm because I know I'm going to wake up the next day and it's going to be sunny and warm. With the winter, with the snow, I know I'm going to wake up the next day and there's going to be snow on the ground and it's going to be cold. So I'm going to take the thunderstorm. But at least with snow, you can maybe go sledding. You could build a snowman. (laughs) There's activities involved with the weather pattern, at least. I was thinking about uh, actually going sledding if it snows this year. But then uh, my daughter Katie reminded me that we don't have any more sleds in the house. <laughs> Gave those away? Yeah. No. <laughs> From the 636, what's better, Brady winning another Super Bowl or the Rams winning a Super Bowl? Brady. Why would we ever pick the Rams? Yeah. No circumstance under which that would happen. I there, I can't think of anything in sports I would I would like to happen less than the Rams winning a Super Bowl. There's not one thing. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I, I can't disagree. You're 100% correct. And, and what what do they say, Randy? The enemy of our enemy is, is our, our friend. friend. Right. And the Tom Brady took down the Rams. So he is now, at least in my book, our friend. And think about Brady. But it's not just Brady. It'd be cool to see Gronk win another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I kind of like to, I'd like to see Bruce Arians win a Super Bowl. There are some elements of that team that I think it'd be pretty cool if they would win. I really like greatness. I like stories that have a place in history. And Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, when you open the book of NFL history, they're an early chapter. They mm-hmm. had a, a, a dynasty, a 
un- an unbelievable run of dominance that we'll most likely never see again in modern sports. And this is the end. This is the end of the road. This is the end of the debate over who who's better. This is what's better. It's who's better, Brady or Belichick. And so if Tom Brady were to go on and win a Super Bowl without Belichick, yep. it's it's a punctuation in his career that has historical implications. Right. So why wouldn't I want to see that? We got to see our friends, Chris Long, Danny Amendola, win Super Bowls with New England. Yes. Who does Aaron Donald win his Super Bowl with? Oh, great question. He's going to go somewhere where he he's it's going to be transactional like it was with Chris, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I would oh, love to see him win. Well, he's not going to win there. No, <laughs> no, no, no. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands, and that, it's probably three years down the road. But what what is the ultimate transaction that gets him to a place where he can win? From the 636, what's better, fans in the stands for the upcoming MLB season or a Final Four run from the Illini? I'm going Final Four run for the Illini because we're going to get fans back eventually, sooner rather than later, hopefully. And that's something that is going to be consistent. Once fans are back, fingers crossed, we never have to deal with this again. To get Illinois in the Final Four is a rarity that I've been waiting for for a decade. A decade I've been waiting for that. Much longer than I've been waiting to get my butt back in the seats at Bush Stadium. I just want to see your reaction when the Illini win. So definitely it's the Illini for me. I, I, it will not be, I, I wonder... If they won a national championship, Randy, I wonder if their reaction would be comparable to my reaction of the Blues winning. That's, I was just thinking that. I wonder what it'll be. I think it'll be because when the Blues won, I was kind of in shock. You knew mm-hmm. it was going to happen. You knew the score. We had the countdown. I was at Enterprise Center. But even until the final horn sounded, I did. it didn't really register with me that it was real. Whereas I think with Illinois, I would be more demonstrative i think i would be more (laughs) excited i would be more amped i don't there's just something about your school that's such a part of you yeah that's not going to happen for lindenwood (laughs) we are we aren't going to indy now here's a question for you if illinois is in the championship game on that first monday night in april are you going to try to find your way to Indy to get into Lucas Oil Stadium? I've already talked to our boss about it. Okay, good. good. <laughs> I said, I don't know what the media situation <laughs> is, but if Illinois is there, can we work something out? And he goes, I'll look into it. Good. From the 314, what's better, Super Wild Card Weekend or the first weekend in March Madness? A few things top March Madness for me. Yeah, there's. here's the way I look at it. There are so many memorable moments from the first weekend of March Madness, whether it's Bryce Drew or Florida Gulf Coast or Mizzou losing to Norfolk State. How many really super memorable moments do you have from NHL or NFL wildcard weekend? It's it, fun because you get to hunker down yeah. and watch football yeah. from end to end. But you, you had the Music City Miracle on wildcard weekend. I just don't think you had Oz drop the ball. On, I guess if you have your team in it, it's one thing. But I, I would say overall for me, it's the NCAA. First first couple of days of the NCAA. Those days when everybody knows that no one is going to be productive. You've got yeah. as many TVs or as many screens as you can possibly find stacked up together. And everybody has such an emotional investment in whatever yep. game you're watching because of your bracket. And I know people gamble and they have fantasy football. They have all these things that they're concerned about when it comes to 
wild card weekend, but it's so, it's so different with March Madness. You just think, put it in this perspective. If you've ever been in a sports bar for the first couple of days of the NCAA tournament, how many times have you heard people go, oh, <laughs> yes. and how often does that happen on wild card weekend? And it's such an emotional roller coaster because even if you have, let's say, Duke, to advance, you in a Cinderella is getting ready to upset Duke. You're you're cheering against yourself because you yeah, want to see the, right. the underdog win. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's what's better on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head to Cleveland. Jake Trotter covers the Browns for ESPN.com, and we're going to talk to him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Good to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And joining us is Jake Trotter. He covers the Cleveland Browns for ESPN.com. The Browns with their first playoff game since 2002 on Sunday night, 7.15 St. Louis time. And Jake, first of all, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you? I'm doing okay, guys. How's y'all? Everything's terrific. First question, though, what's it like in Cleveland right now? Yeah, there's a lot of excitement. You know, it's a little bit weird because of the uh, the pandemic, so you don't see people out and about like you would. Uh, but you can definitely you can definitely feel the you know a little bit of relief, a lot of excitement, um, and you know there's 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 kids in high school. You know, there are seniors in high school that have never seen the Browns in the playoffs before. So I think it's kind of a special moment for uh, the generations here, you know, that have passed Browns football down, uh, that, that this is something that they can all uh, share together. And I think the most exciting part is, you know, the season's not over and this team is not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, even if they get eliminated Sunday night, you know, this has a chance to be a really good team for the next, you know, five, six, seven years based on all the young guys and the guys that have on the contract. Jake, what's the? I want to get the temperature check on Baker Mayfield because it seems as throughout the season, um, our emotions swung the pendulum with Baker. One week we would say, "Oh, he's definitely the guy." The next week we would say, mm, "I don't know if he's going to be their franchise quarterback of the future." So, where is the sentiment on Baker Mayfield right now in Cleveland? Yeah, that he is their franchise quarterback, and that you know they're going to pick up the fifth-year option on him this offseason. I think it's very possible that they could negotiate. An extension is, I mean, if you go from week seven to week 16 before the Jets game, where they lost all their wide receivers, there were only two quarterbacks in the NFL that had a higher QBR than Baker Mayfield. And that was Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, for about 10 weeks there, Baker was playing about as well as any quarterback in the NFL. And it's not really that small of a sample size, you know, two months of football. And, you know, to be the first quarterback to the playoffs since 02, um, you know, just given the turnover they have had at that position, going back to 99 where they have 30 different starting quarterbacks, um, you know, I think they feel like they've got their guy. And, um, you know, listen, he's not you know, perfect. He, he uh, you know, he's had some moments where you're left scratching your head a little bit, but there's been more good than bad for sure. And I think that they have a – they're really excited about the partnership between he and Coach Kevin Stefanski, who's done a great job putting Baker in positions to succeed this year. 
Jake Trotter covers the Browns for ESPN.com. And while we talk about Mayfield, and it is a quarterback-driven league, it seems to me, Jake, like the Browns are somewhat of a throwback. Third in rushing the ball, ninth against the run. Those of us that have covered football for a long time, coaches always say, hey, we want to run the ball and stop the run. And that's what Stefanski's staff has them doing. Yeah, and it starts with the offensive line. You know, last year, uh, the Browns had, you know, one of, if maybe the worst offensive line uh, in the NFL. And, and you you look at some of the struggles that Baker had, and some of them were on him. Um, but it's difficult when, you know, you can't protect. And, and they could not protect last year. Um, and, and so that was one of the, the, the big points of emphasis this offseason was upgrading the offensive line. They say, signed Jack Conklin out of Tennessee. Uh, you know, top right tackle on the market. They went out and drafted Jedrick Wills from Alabama with the 10th overall pick at left tackle. Uh, and all of a sudden, that offensive line has been uh, completely solidified. And then you have, you know, basically two number one running backs, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And they keep those guys fresh. They rotate them. And so when you get into the fourth quarter, um, you know, those guys can really close games. I mean, Nick Chubb is averaging 10 yards per carry in the fourth quarters of games this year. So, um, that's been their blueprint uh, to success. And on, on the other side of the ball, um, you know, they've got one of the best players uh, that can rush the passer in the, in, in the, in the league in Miles Garrett. And uh, they've been pretty good elsewhere inside on, on stopping the run, as you mentioned. So it's, it's really started in the trenches with this team. They are kind of a throwback. They want to run the ball. Um, you know, they, they, they will beat you throwing it. They've done that this year. Uh, but their bread and butter is, is, you know, multiple tight ends, handing the ball off to Nick Chubb and letting him get, you know, yards after the carry, yards after contact, I'm sorry. Jake, tough news for Browns fans as Olivier Vernon, and it was announced that he ruptured his Achilles on Sunday. You know, he was tied for the NFL League with 26 quarterback pressures. He had nine sacks on the season. Obviously a big loss for the Browns, but do you think this is something that's really going to affect them this weekend? Yeah, it's a big loss, and and it's not so much uh, Vernon – in of himself, it's just the this is starting to add up. Um, you know, the guys that are missing defensively, and this hasn't been a great defense all year. I mean, they've got a couple of great individual players. Um, you know, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, but uh, you know, they, they've had problems at safety. They had you know problems at linebacker, the defensive line now, and they just you know I think at some point that's going to take its toll on them. Um, as many guys that they, they, they've they're missing due to, to injury in, in the COVID-19 protocols. So I, I think it's a huge loss. I mean, Vernon uh, really stepped up when Miles was out on, on the COVID list. Uh, you know, he, I think if you go back to, uh, I want to say like week week 10, he's got as many quarterback pressures as anybody in the NFL. Uh, so he had really stepped up this year and had played well for them. And that's not, an insignificant loss. And then when you factor in all the other guys that missed it defensively, uh, it makes it that much worse. Jake, as you talk to the players, and here we are on Tuesday, so you haven't had much access to them since Sunday, but it has been a long time since the Browns have won in Pittsburgh. What's the what's the vibe you get from them? How do they feel? Yeah, they don't want to talk about that part of it. And, I mean, it's crazy. You know, two of the five, uh, longest ro- uh, road losing streaks to a single opponent uh, are Browns at Steelers, you know, from 1970 to 1985. And then, you know, from 2004 up to now, you know, the Browns did not and have not won in Pittsburgh. So it, it is crazy. I mean, the, the last 
two times the Browns have been eliminated from the playoffs, you know, both times, 1994, 2002, came in Pittsburgh. So it's been just an, an absolute house of horrors, including this season. They got absolutely crushed 38-7 uh, earlier this season in week six. Uh, but they're not focused on it. They don't want to talk about it. They'll get a little bit irritated when you bring it up. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this to Kevin Stefanski yesterday, and, you know, he uh, you could tell he was getting irritated with that line of questioning. But it, it, it is real, and, you know, it's something that they're going to have to overcome um, against a, a good team that's, that's well-rested, you know, that rested their key to be defensive players uh, last weekend, that rested – uh, ben Roethlisberger, so it's going to be an enormous challenge. And even though um, you know the, the, it's not going to be the full crowd uh, that you've seen in the past there at Heinz Field, it's still going to be uh, uh, you know I think a tough a tough spot for the Browns, just considering how poorly they have played there over the years. Jake, you mentioned Kevin Stefanski, and Browns fans have been waiting for a coach like this to really establish a culture for a while. But what is it about Kevin Stefanski that has been able to get this Browns team in this position? Yeah, I mean, he's just, uh, he, he's unflappable. You know, he's unwavering. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, and I think uh, when, you, when you consider all the obstacles they've had this year, you know, from the virtual off season for the short training camp, you know, trying to install a new offense, you know, Baker's fourth since coming into the league. Uh, and just, uh, you know, him being able to, to keep it all together week to week. I mean, if you go back to last Saturday when they, they lost their entire receiving core uh, the day before they're traveling to New York. And then, you know, after that, they've got guys going on and off the COVID list all week. Uh, you know, they, they can't even practice on Thursday because of uh, contact tracing. And and then they do enough to, to beat Pittsburgh. I mean, that's a game the Browns historically have lost, right? I mean, you know, in that in that position w- with a lot of pressure, uh, that's a game that they've lost in the past. And I think Stefanski is a big reason why they did it. And um, you can see the team taking on his personality, uh, which I think is impressive uh, so quickly into his uh, tenure. And, you know, to me, uh, you know, he's got to be on the short list of NFL coach of the year, uh, considering, you know, he took a team to the playoffs that hadn't been uh, uh, in 17 seasons um, and, and did it as a first-time head coach with all kinds of obstacles that, you know, first-time head coaches usually don't have to deal with. Jake Trotter, it's fun to cover the playoffs. Have a great time with it. Thanks so much for the time today, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, guys. Take care. Take care. That is Jake Trotter covers the Browns for ESPN. And that is great when you finally make the playoffs after not making them for a long time. We've been there. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty fun feeling. Absolutely. Browns fans have earned this. They have. And it's a bummer that it's happening, happening, as he said, during a pandemic. But at least their team is there and they get to watch them in the postseason. I'm sure if you would have told them years ago, hey, the Browns are going to get there, but you're not going to be able to pack the stadium. It's not going to be the way you viewed it, but they're going to get to the playoffs. Browns fans would have said, we'll take it however yeah, we can absolutely. get it. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and I and Tanner have a game of Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Tanner, and Randy. 
And Michelle, I'll get things started. Yesterday, we got word on SportsCenter, on ESPN, and on a story at ESPN.com. It even was on the crawl on ESPN TV that the Dolphins had parted ways with offensive coordinator Chan Gailey, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Only problem? Adam Schefter never tweeted it. It was from a fake Adam Schefter account called Tua Needs Help. (laughs) Tua Needs Help with the Adam Schefter picture and the Adam Schefter logo and the Adam Schefter name. Take it or leave it wherever you are, whether you're sitting at a desk at an insurance company or whether you're running uh, editorial for ESPN, always look for the blue check mark. Take it, take it, take it. (laughs) Many times during baseball hot stove season, I would see something pop up on the timeline and you see a rumor or a report and you go, what? And then you you look, you go, oh, that's not the real John Heyman. That is not the real Ken Rosenthal. And you also have to be careful because sometimes uh, those sneaky fake reporters out there instead of having the blue check mark they have a seven Uh that is in a blue circle so that if you're just quickly scrolling it could trick your eye but yeah you got to be very careful before you go with news like that and it lasted the story on espn.com for about 20 minutes and they they had to come back and do a retraction on espn yeah just look for that blue check mark by the way one time i don't know if you remember this Chris Long changed his profile to look like American Airlines because Fletcher Cox, <laughs> of his teammate with the Eagles, had a problem with American Airlines. So Cox tweets at American Airlines. Chris changes all of his stuff to look like American Airlines and then tweets back to Fletcher Cox, get over it. <laughs> did he fall for it? Yeah, he did, totally. Oh, my gosh, that's great. great. Chris Long's the funniest guy. He's great. I tell you what. Um, Okay, Randy, so as you know, our Miami Dolphins, even though they didn't make that move yesterday, not going to the postseason, even though we're excited about the future. But it was fun to have a rooting interest during the regular season in the NFL. So I propose that we adopt a playoff team for us to cheer for on an emotional level for the next few weeks. Take it or leave it. How about we adopt the Browns? I think that'll only be for a week, but I'll take it. It might be short-lived, but after talking to Jake Trotter last segment, they're they're just a team and a story and a city that you can emotionally get behind. They fit us, they don't fit they? They fit us. They fit us. We know what it's like to suffer for a long time. We know what it's like to watch terrible football. We It's a Midwest city. There's just so many things that play into us as St. Louisans. There's a lot of simpatico there. Mm-hmm. So I vote, or excuse me, I nominate the Cleveland Browns, even if it's short-lived to be our team. I second that nomination. Tanner? I'm not. I'm not going to take that one. No, he's, he's a Rams. Oh, I keep forgetting. With the Rams, I keep forgetting so. that he doesn't care I, so about he's, he's, the fact that the you know the franchise hurt our city. Yeah, so he's going to go with the Rams for this weekend, and then uh, we'll okay, go. Randy. Well, what about us then? Oh, we're totally on board with the Browns. We feel dangerous. My other suggestion was going to be the Bills. We can take them the next week. Okay. <laughs> we, we, don't, we have zero confidence in the team that we're, we're choosing, so we'll be off the bandwagon soon. All right, Tanner Hendrickson, what do you got for us? From the 636, take it or leave it. Robert Thomas is the top five in Blues points this season. Michelle, I'm going to take that. I think he, he makes his presence known and playing center with his ability to pass and getting the top six time at center that he'll get I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it, too. I love the the positive outlook. I think he's going to have an expanded role. And I just think this is the season we're going to see a different different level from Robert Thomas. 
from the 636 take it or leave it a small party is more fun than a large party a small party is more fun than a large party i'm gonna leave it because i miss a large party you know what i wouldn't give right now to go out and have one wild night with a bunch (laughs) of people just be there is such a power in communing and gathering and Think about what it's like to be at a stadium with tens of thousands of people you don't know all celebrating the same thing, all cheering for the same thing. We've had a lot of small gatherings over the past year, so I'm leaving it. Give me the big party. If I could have a gathering of six or eight people, I'll take that over a Super Bowl party. I would. Yeah, definitely. I'll take the smaller group of people. That's the, The more intimate group is much more my speed. Normally, it's mine, too, but you want what you can't have. <laughs> and you can't have a big party right now. You can't have big parties now. <laughs> According to reports, the Chargers are requesting to interview Giants offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. Take it or leave it. That would be the worst hire for the Chargers. I'm going to leave it. Rod Marinelli is still out there. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so you could hire him. Wouldn't be the worst. Yeah, you, you could hire Adam Gase. Yes, that's true. That would be very interesting, though. Jason Garrett there. Yeah. Yeah, he was 20 games over 500 with the Cowboys, and he was working with Jerry Jones. I was just going to say, he had relative success there while being hamstrung by the owner. Yeah. So I would would like to see him get a shot somewhere else. I would think that that might be a spot for Biennemi. Although I think Houston would be a spot for him, too. That's what I was thinking. Do you remember when Jason Garrett came here? The Rams had already, they, they had hired Spags, basically. And I don't know why they brought him here, but he was one of the three finalists. It was Garrett, Ron Rivera, and Spags. And Garrett said he wanted to come in and see the facility, so they flew him in on a Friday with the knowledge that he wasn't going to get the job, gave him a tour of the facility, and then he just flew home, and that was it. And they, they didn't tell him that they had already given Spags the job. They had, though. In that moment... Did you were you pumped by the Spags hire? I was. He was the hot guy at that he point. He was. He was. Won a Super Bowl with the Giants and appeared to have the personality and the skills necessary, but his leadership at the time was certainly lacking. But we didn't know it until no. it played out. Right. From the 618, take it or leave it. Two of the three local college basketball teams, Illini, Mizzou, and SLU, will secure a three seed or better in the tournament. Ooh, nice good one. I'm going to leave that. Because you think that by the time things play out. Yeah. So that means you're talking three, the three of them are in the top 12. And I don't think that's going to happen. I I think probably one. The Illini are what I'm looking for, for a top three. I was thinking that too. So we get into conference play. It's going to be tough. I, I know that it looks like a down year for Mizzou, but man, conference road basketball games, even without a crowd are really tough to win. But you'll still probably have three tournament teams. Yep, I think so. From the 901, take it or leave it. The Saints winning the Super Bowl and Breeze retiring on top would be the best story to come from the playoffs. Ooh. That would be a great story. Yeah, that'd be John Elway, Peyton Manning esque uh-huh. to go out on top as a quarterback. So, yeah, I think I would take that. And to do it with New Orleans, the franchise he's been with, it's not as if he's going, it's not as if he's going somewhere Peyton Manning style at the end of his career right. to just get it done. And he's meant so much to that city. He's done so much for them, um, especially the, the hurricane efforts. 
That would be a great story. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that, too. And I hadn't considered it prior, but I will definitely take that. From the 618, take it or leave it. You guys should change your playoff team to Washington. Alex Smith, plus they're playing TB12. Uh, no, we already took Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get that out. Yeah, but I, I cannot abide. And I was a big-time uh, Washington Redskins fan for a long time. But I cannot cheer for a team owned by Dan Snyder. I was just thinking the same thing. I will cheer for Alex Smith. It's a great story. I cannot cheer for Dan Snyder. Cannot. No. It's the worst. Well, not the worst. Second worst. Maybe third. Hatred power rankings. Cronky, Jones, Snyder. There you go. Well I, done. Fi- yep. I figured it out. Yep. Uh, thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thank you very much for your texts as well to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, how realistic is it for Cardinal fans to expect a world championship every decade? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. A couple of quick baseball notes for you. A report from MLB that the Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros are looking at Yasiel Puig. The teams that are interested in closer Liam Hendricks include the Dodgers, White Sox, and Blue Jays. And we also have word that the race for George Springer is down to two teams, the Blue Jays and the Mets. So, Michelle, there are some teams out there that are at least making noise. They're kind of rattling the trash can in the case of the Astros (laughs) in regards (laughs) to uh, doing some free agency stuff. And, Randy, uh, what are the names attached to the Cardinals right now? What are the rumors out there? I'm uh, I'm, uh, scrolling through, and I I don't see anything, Michelle. Nothing, huh? Not a thing. Not a darn thing. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Not much going on in rumors. With the Cardinals' history, they have more world championships than any other National League franchise. They've won 11 world championships. There is, as we've talked about here, an expectation that the Cardinals are going to win World Series on a regular basis. Do you believe, Michelle Smallman, that it's realistic for Cardinal fans to expect that they would win a championship Every single decade, should we go into this current decade that we're heading into and say, okay, we should get a world championship here. Are the Cardinals that powerful in the Major League Baseball hierarchy that we should expect them to be the team that wins a championship every decade? I think it's an incredibly fair expectation for Cardinals fans to think that they should win a world championship every decade. And that's because Cardinal fans continue to pour into this organization financially. And when you have fans that, when they're allowed to, come out strong and they spend their money and they pack Bush Stadium and they provide an infusion of cash to the team, they should expect a winner. They deserve a winner for the support that they give. And a few weeks ago when we were 
looking back on the decade in sports, we played a soundbite from Bill DeWitt when he appointed Mike Schilt as the manager. And he talked about the expectation that the franchise has of winning. And he talked about how in St. Louis, that is the standard that is set, is that this is a winning organization and that this is a crown jewel franchise, not only in baseball, but in sports. And when you have a team that has consistently won and that part of their identity is championship baseball, yeah, the fans should expect that to pay dividends. I think that they do deserve that. But to expect that when you just went through a decade where the New York Yankees didn't win a World Series, didn't even play in a World Series, the Dodgers just finished three decades in which they didn't win a World Series. The Cubs went a century. The Cubs are the number three market in the country and win a century without winning a World Series. The Braves, for all their dominance over the course of the last 30 years, they haven't won a World Series since 1995. They win the 2000s and the 2010s. The White Sox win 80 years. The Red Sox win 84 years. I think that while it's fair and reasonable to say that Cardinal fans deserve it because they pour so much money into the franchise, what teams like the Cubs and the Yankees and the Dodgers show us is that even if you have a bunch of money, that it's unrealistic to expect that's going to happen because there are 30 teams and there's only one winner every year. So I I think while Cardinal fans, I'll say it, they deserve it. I think that is an unreasonable expectation, not only for the Cardinals, but for any franchise. Any, so you think Yankees fans shouldn't expect to win, even if they haven't, that they shouldn't enter every year looking at their payroll, looking at their legacy and expecting their team to be in a position to win? No, I, I think from the Cardinals perspective that it's unrealistic. I, th- I think the Yankees, because of their clout, because of the fact that they've won 27, that's a little bit different. I, I think that... Uh, Heck, you look at the fact that they won in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, They didn't win one in the 80s, but then they won in the 90s and they won in the... They they didn't win one in the 2000s. They lost in 01 and 03. Uh, So they have... They've won once. They won in 09, I guess, but they haven't won since, been to the World Series since. So I I think while you can expect it as a fan, I think mathematically, I'm not really good at math, but I think the, the realistic odds of winning once every decade are probably pretty low. Sure, it's very difficult to win. It really is. But I look at it as one common thread. The expectation is part of the passion You have that passion for your team, which has you buy the merchandise. That passion fuels you to go to the ballpark and spend your money when you're allowed to. It has you buy Fox Sports Midwest and listen to the radio so that you can Mm -hmm. make sure to be locked in to the Cardinals. It has you buy a subscription to The Athletic and to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch so you can keep up on your teams. If you don't have the expectation, you won't have the same passion for your team, which doesn't fuel you to go out there and spend all your money. Okay, can we put it this way then? Well, it's not unreasonable. Uh, I'll, I'll go this far. It's not unreasonable to expect that, but people are allowed to have unreasonable and unattainable expectations. Of course. So I, I think that's what we're talking about. But I 
also think we're not saying that the Cardinals should win a World Series. The expectation is every other year. It's once in a decade. Well, but here's the thing. When you get good for a decade, like the Cardinals have been basically since 2000, John Mozeliak has never had a draft pick better than the 19th pick in the draft. When you're the Yankees and you get Bernie Williams and Posada and Jeter and Pettit and Rivera and you're good for a long time, the likelihood of getting a core like that together again is pretty low. When you have the Braves and you get Smoltz and Maddox and Glavin and Chipper Jones, the the likelihood of getting a group like that together again is pretty low. So what I'm thinking is that it, it, it just isn't realistic to have that much greatness for that amount of time to say that, okay, well, we're going to be able to put together a group unless you just fall into it like the Cardinals did in 06 and 11. Let's be honest. They, yeah. they, they weren't great teams. They, they, they had they Albert. Got, they got hot at the right time. Yeah, they, they did. And it's amazing that the Cubs went as long as they did without ever falling into one. But I, I think it's probably unrealistic to expect that teams are going to fall into one too so we're in a new decade you do not expect the cardinals to at least once this decade win a world series and that comes with the fact that they haven't won since 2011 no i i I wouldn't i I would if if we're going to bet i would give anybody the cardinals to win once and i'll take the field I'll take the other 29. Yeah, the odds are better in your favor, yeah. for sure. Right. So I, I just realistically, mathematically don't expect it. Do you say that based on the current state of the team? Oh, in part. Yeah, definitely. I, I wonder, because I don't feel the same way about the Blues. Like, it, I would put my money down on the Blues to win before I would put my money down on the Cardinals to win, despite the fact that they're both playoff teams, despite the fact that the Blues have only won once in their history and it's harder to win a Stanley Cup championship. But it just seems to be a mentality of winning. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be, uh, there seems to be more of a confidence internally and externally in the current state of the team. Uh, and for good reason. But I wonder if you would have heightened expectations for this team if you had height as a whole in the next decade, if you had a little bit more elevated expectations of this current Cardinals team. Well, at the end of the day, more times than not, talent plays. And 2020 was a perfect example. For whatever reason, talent won out in 2020, whether it was the most talented baseball team, the Dodgers winning, most talented hockey team, the Lightning won, most talented NBA team won in 2020. It looks like it's going to be either the Packers or the the Chiefs, most most talented, best best quarterbacks at least. And and the Blues have a ton of talent. They have a ton of great players. Where are the Cardinals great players? Flaherty and and Goldie. Goldie. Yeah, there, there you go. But there's a lot of teams with a lot more great players than the Cardinals have right now. And hopefully maybe one day Carlson. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah, yeah. hopefully. And, and by the way, and this is not a bad thing, but it happened for us. The Cardinals did fall into Albert Pujols. If they knew that Pujols was going to be that great, they would have drafted him in the first round rather than the 13th. So falling into a superstar is a good thing for a franchise too. And we just, that from a baseball standpoint, don't have enough Boog, Boog Chambi, new voice of the Cubs. But they don't have enough dudes, right? They don't have enough good dudes. Yeah, and shout out to Boog. Glad to have him in the NL Central yeah. permanently. Congratulations. But one more thing, Randy. Do you think that the Cardinals resent or appreciate the high level of expectations that are placed upon them? I'm sure at some times it's probably a mixture of both, but it is really difficult to win. 
And I can't imagine what it's like for somebody like John Mozeliak, mm-hmm. who's had a relative, relative to his peers, an incredible amount of success at his job, especially given the amount of time that he's held the position and that it still does not seem good enough ever. I think, I think that's a really interesting question because I don't think that there's an appreciation for the fact, and it is a fact, that the reason that the Cardinals are where they are is because of the Cardinals. They kind of caused this by starting the analytics movement Mm -hmm. by hiring Jeff Luno in 2003. Now everybody is doing analytics and everybody has the exact same advantages and they're taking advantage of market inefficiencies like the Cardinals did for years. And the game changed with revenue sharing. I would think if anything that the Cardinals, I don't think they resent fans. They probably resent the fact that they were able to do what they did for such a long time. And now everybody else has copied it or found a way to do it even better than they have. Yes. I don't think they resent the fans. And I think that they, uh, they revel in the fact that those expectations drive support, which drives revenue. And it's also huge for them to know that if they go out and they talk to a free agent, that they can say, Hey, you're going to play in front of a packed Mm -hmm. house every night. You're going to play for a market that lives and dies by every game. It's a different animal here. But with that, comes the fact that you could be really, really good at your job and still never probably get the dues that you deserve. Yeah. And it's, it's a double-edged sword. It really is. If I'm Bill DeWitt and I look at a franchise like the Chicago White Sox, why do the White or, or the A's? A's are a much better example because they play in the number four market, San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area. Why am I in the number 22 market paying into revenue sharing and the A's are taking advantage of my paying into revenue sharing and being able to put together what they do by taking my money. That doesn't seem fair. No. So it it probably should go more by market size revenue sharing rather than the revenue generated. The Cardinals are paying a price for being good at what they do. Should we make a bet of some sorts that the Cardinals will or will not win a World Series in the next 10 years? Yeah, sure. We'll come up with something. Even though the odds aren't in my favor, I'm going to take them. Okay, I like that. Because they're due. Not not this year, but they're they're definitely due. (laughs) Coming up, who was the best of the NFL in 2020? We'll bring you who was next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. regular season is over for 2020 it's time for Carriker and Smallman's NFL awards and we'll start with our most valuable player Michelle Aaron Rodgers tough to argue against that even though there are other options Start in motion to the right. Rodgers under center. Fakes the handoff to Jones. Rodgers looking. Throws. End zone. Late. Got it. Touchdown. Robert Tunyon. His 11th touchdown reception of the season. Snap to Rodgers. Blitz on. Rodgers lofts it. Deep down the middle. Got a man out there. It's MVS. And he is gone. 10-5. End zone. Touchdown. Green Bay Packers. 72 yards. Aaron Rodgers starting out with a third down and one from the 21-yard line of Tennessee here. He's under center. Dylan is the back. He's going to fake the handoff to him. Set up in the pocket. Throw down the middle of the field, and it's caught in the end zone. Equinemius St. Brown for a Green Bay touchdown. A 21-yard strike. Rodgers to St. Brown. Equinemius St. Brown. Robert Tanyan. 
it's unbelievable what he does to elevate those around him. Rodgers with 48 touchdown passes. Michelle, that's eight clear of number two, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, only threw five interceptions on the year, had a passer rating of 121.5. And remember, last year in the first round of the draft, people went crazy because the Packers didn't get him another wide receiver. That's right. Yet he throws for 4,299 yards and 48 TDs. He also completed a career high 70.7% of his passes this year. And while Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes, you can make an argument for Josh Allen, Derrick Henry. I think if you look at the complete body of work, plus, as you mentioned, the talent around him, I would go with Aaron Rodgers as well. That being said, our Offensive Player of the Year is not Aaron Rodgers. It's the eighth rusher in NFL history to get 2,000 yards. Five-yard line. Henry. Henry. Breaking free. 20. 25. Off to the races. They may not catch him. They won't catch him. Touchdown, Tennessee. Henry. Found a little room. Found a lot of room. And here he goes. 20. The Tennessee running back with 2,027 yards and led the league with 17 rushing touchdowns, too. Dominant. So as much as we'd like to look at Tyreek Hill, who had a great year, and Patrick Mahomes, who had a great year, you don't get many dominant running backs these days. So it makes sense. I would definitely go with Derrick Henry. As we mentioned, he's in the MVP conversation. And not only has he sustained such a heavy workload, I think he's fumbled, what, once this season? I mean, he's just Mm -hmm. so consistent, too. He's amazing. He really is. He's the one guy in the playoffs that can change a game simply because he can hang on to the ball for you. If you need to hang on to the ball for 40 minutes against a passing team, Derrick Henry is a guy that can do that. Michelle, our defensive player of the year, uh, as you might expect, He led the league in sacks. It was Watt, but it was TJ Watt of the Steelers, not JJ. The fourth defensive player of the year award, at least for the family, if he does win it. But the inaugural, Carriker and Smallman, NFL defensive player of the year. On second and ten, here come the Steelers again. Oh, goodness. Driscoll never had a chance. He goes down at his own 32-yard line. The charge led by TJ Watt. TJ, 15 sacks, seven passes, defense had an interception, and especially because they lost Bud Dupree, they lost Devin Bush, they didn't have as much surrounding TJ Watt as they did at the beginning of the season in the second half of the year, and he was still great. He was unstoppable. He was elite, pass rusher, run defender, as his head coach Mike Tomlin said, Randy, this season, he was visiting from another planet. (laughs) He's great, and he's still a difference maker. When you're Cleveland on... Sunday, that's the guy that uh, Coach Venturi would call the ambient player, right? He'll keep you up at night. Which is such a... Gosh, RV is the best. What what a great way to describe a player. He is an... Well, an ambient player puts you to sleep, right? Uh, ambient puts you to ambient sleep. Ambient player, that puts you to sleep. What's the one that keeps you awake then? Adderall? No, whatever it is. We'll figure it out. Doesn't Adderall wake you up or oh, help you focus? Oh, you need Ambien to sleep. That's it. You need, you, you need Ambien because that guy is, you, you can't sleep because of him. There you go. I was like, wait, Ambien certainly does not keep you awake. That knocks you out. <laughs> All right. Our offensive rookie of the year might surprise you, but he was awesome, especially in the second half. So the drive stays alive. Cousins connecting over the middle, stretching it out. I think he's in. Justin Jefferson, touchdown Minnesota. 
Took him a while to find Pater, but they do with 6.25 left in the third. Play fake. Cousins taking a deep shot. Jefferson's got separation, and he's got the catch inside the 40. Jefferson still going. See you later. Justin Jefferson, have a day. Justin Jefferson of the Vikings with an NFL rookie record, 1,400 receiving yards on 88 catches. He is our offensive rookie of the year. You know, when Stephon Diggs left the Vikings, people were wondering what kind of void that would be. And Justin Jefferson stepped right into that role. He was so great for the Vikings this season. And while he's definitely worthy of the award, it's it was a tough battle because you certainly could give this to Justin Herbert of the Chargers, who had a phenomenal rookie season, one of the best rookie season we, seasons we've seen out of a quarterback. He broke a ton of records. So this, out of all of these awards that we're giving out, I think this one was pretty highly contested. I agree. And by the way, the number five rusher in the league was undrafted James Robinson of Jacksonville. He had 1,070 yards rushing, and he will be in the hunt, but probably won't win the award. But, yeah, you're right. This was an extremely difficult one. Certainly more difficult than the defensive rookie of the year. Two injuries on two possessions to start this game, given the year they've had. Mullins from the pocket. Couldn't get rid of it. That's Chase Young with a sack. Came flying in. Chase Young, especially in the second half of the year, was sensational. And he is our defensive rookie of the year. Eight and a half sacks. He was completely dominant. He... He gets it. The end. We yeah. could have given it to the. You could have forecasted this award more than maybe any of the others early in the season. It just seemed mm-hmm. like from the gate you knew that Chase Young was going to be this good. Number two pick in the draft That's lived right. up to what the Washington football team expected of him. Okay, we had to change this one. Comeback player of the year not named Alex Smith because he's easy, right? Once he played it down, he was comeback player of the year, right? Absolutely. And it's really not even close when they think that your leg may be amputated and you might almost die and you have surgeries and the double digits and then you come back and you're able to not only be effective on the on the football field but lead your team to the playoffs you win the award and no one else really even gets a sniff at it but randy in another season when alex smith didn't have a disney storybook type Mm -hmm. thing going on how about ben roethlisberger here's a guy who suffered a season-ending elbow injury last year in 2019 he comes back at 37 years old he leads pittsburgh to an 11-0 start here's a team that was a was slash is in the postseason super bowl contender and he's just been solid for them yet again after coming back from that season ending injury i would think in any other year you might look at ben roethlisberger as the slam dunk winner of this award i would think that in any other year you definitely would but you have a guy that's coming back off of four seasons out of the game we're gonna localize this m-i-z on third down can they do it again they need 12 and there they come. You're right, Chris. Exactly right. Swallowed him up, and it's Alden Smith in his first game in five years and making his presence very much felt tonight. And on second down, it's Williams up the middle. Short of the first. The ball is out. It's scooped up by the Cowboys. On the run, up the field. Alden Smith motoring to the other end, and Alden Smith will take it in for a Dallas touchdown. Alden Smith coming off of four years being out of the league, five sacks for the Cowboys, arguably their best defensive player. He had 48 combined tackles. And with all due respect to Big Ben, I'm going with the MIZ guy. And you know what? I don't blame you because that is an incredible story and an incredible comeback. We're 
where Alton Smith was a few years ago, mm-hmm. you thought not only would he never play football again, you we hadn't even really heard about him right. in a long time. He was going through a lot of really serious issues. So for him to be able to overcome all of that and not only get back out in the football field, but be able to contribute in the way that he did, great story. Probably not a Disney movie, though. No, that's more of an HBO thing. I think so. It's got a little grit to it. (laughs) You know, we need some swear words in that one. (laughs) Our game of the year was a game between the Vegas Raiders and our Miami Dolphins. Trips right, single man left. LaMarcus Joyner is back on the field for the Raiders. Fitzpatrick is in the shotgun. He waits. He takes the snap. Fitzpatrick is back to throw. Steps up in the pocket. Hit as he throws. Deep down the left side. He's got a receiver open. Makes the catch out of bounds in Raider territory at the 41. And there are multiple flags where Fitzpatrick got hit. It's a 34-yard pass play down the far left sideline. Fitzpatrick got his face mask grabbed as he uncorked that throw. And what that did was set up an opportunity for Jason Sanders to kick a game winner with one second left. Sanders is ready. Here's the snap. Ball is down. The kick is on the way, and it is good. Jason Sanders drills it with one second left. The Dolphins have taken the lead. 26-25 Miami. Now, Michelle, that was just the end. With 4.01 left in the game, 4.01 left in the fourth quarter, Sanders had hit a 22-yarder to tie the game at 16. Back come the Raiders with 3.37 on the clock. Derek Carr to Nelson Aguilar for 85 yards, 22-16 as they miss the extra point. Back come the Dolphins a minute and 12 later. Or no, I'm sorry, 39 seconds later. A 59-yard pass from Fitzpatrick to Miles Gaskin. And the Dolphins take the lead, 23-22. Dolphins drive back. Daniel Carlson, a 22-yard field goal with 19 seconds left to give the Raiders the lead, 25-23. And, of course, Jason Sanders hitting the game winner with just one second left. What a game. What a game for our Dolphins. I remember that game uh, was the late finisher and we were up late texting about it and that was such a great moment for Ryan Fitzpatrick who when Tua got the nod earlier in the season had talked about how heartbroken he was and to see him be able to shine in that moment and be so hyped and have his team respond to him was a really really special thing to watch and that one won by a nose in large part because you voted the Dolphins as Carrick and Smallman's team but I'll tell you what if you look at that Monday night game on December 14th between Baltimore and Cleveland that was a great one too as Cleveland had the lead late, but Baltimore came back with the heroics of Lamar Jackson coming back at the two-minute warning and leading his team to a 47-42 victory. We've had some good games this NFL season. Yeah, and especially late. It's been fantastic. It has. Those are our NFL awards on 101 ESPN. Speaking of awards, coming up next, I'm rattled here now because... You're just thinking about that moment for the Dolphins. I'm thinking about the award that I have not been able to get. We have a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, we do. Making his first defense of the Hall of Fame. (laughs) We do. We do. I forgot about that. Coming up next on The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe and in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker.
Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is time for the fight, but this is going to be a unique fight today because Randy's opponent, Mike, yesterday beat Randy for the third time in a row, and he secured his place in the Fight Hall of Fame. So much so that if you head to 101ESPN.com right now and you check out the Fight Hall of Fame, Mike's picture is already up there. He's the third member of the Hall of Fame. I'm actually looking at it right now. And he's <laughs> the photo that Mike submitted is quite lovely. He's having a very tender moment with Lord Stanley as he's wearing his blues jersey there. It's so sweet. All of us that got to have our moment with the cup, we reacted just like Mike. So be sure to head to 101ESPN.com to check that out. Mike, thanks, uh, thanks again for being with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Walking a little taller today, I must admit. Okay, love that. You're a Hall of Famer. Uh, But with that comes some restrictions when you take the fight, Mike, because now you're on the same level as Randy. It is confirmed, which means that you're not going to get the options. And I have to tell you, Mike, some people on the text line took a little umbrage with you yesterday, taking some time to answer your questions. They thought maybe you might be Googling something. So just to put those Concerns to bed. We're going to give you a 10-second time clock, okay? So we're, we're not going to give you a ton of time to answer the questions. Is that all right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, but why, why would you cheat? That's like cheating in golf. There, you just yourself. That's, you know what, Mike? I like that attitude. Plus, on some of the answers, you didn't even need the options before you popped off with the response. You know, Randy's allowed to think, so I think it's only fair that I'm allowed to think for at least a second, too. That's true. Maybe just verbalize what you're thinking so that the the people out there don't think that you're cheating. But you know what? Tanner and I didn't have those suspicions about you. We knew that you were a true Blue Hall of Famer. But let's see if you... I'm driving right now, so there's no way I can (laughs) do anything. All right, cool. Well, Mike, let's see if you can continue the streak. All right, question number one. Who was the Cleveland Browns starting quarterback in their last playoff game back in 2002? I'm going to have to get a lifeline on that one. Okay. Is it Tim Couch, Kelly Holcomb, or Derek Anderson? Derek Anderson. Mike, who is the last Jets head coach to lead them to the playoffs? Oh, let me think. Um, oh, um, oh, that God, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. oh uh, the brothers, um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Ryan, which one? Uh, the one without the long hair. <laughs> um, uh, we need a full uh, name, Mike. Buddy, not Buddy, uh, Buddy Ryan is, uh, uh, Okay, we're going to need a final yeah. answer here. Bill, Bill Ryan. I thought, yeah, okay. Bill Ryan, is that your final answer? Yeah. Bill Ryan, okay. Yeah, that's all I could think of. No, no worries. On this date in 1993. Oh, sorry, is that my turn? <laughs> sorry, sorry, Tanner. My turn here. Question number three. On this date in 1993, Reggie Jackson was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. What team did Reggie Jackson appear in the most games for in his career? Um, uh, I'm going to say the A's. All right, Mike. In what team did Cardinals great Bob Gibson beat the most often in his career? Uh, 
It has to be the Cubs. Okay. Is that your final answer, Mike? The Cubs? Yeah. All right. Checking score. Randy's on his way in. All right, Mike. What's it like to take the fight without the options and to have a little bit of a time crunch? Oh, yeah. Just that Ryan one just taught me. Ah, I can't think of the, those two brothers' names. Killing me. Once you hear it, it's going to bother you. Yeah, I know. I know. Randy, say hello to your peer now, the Hall of Famer. It's Mike. Hey, Mike. Welcome back. Congratulations. Thank you. Great to have you with us. So he took the fight, Randy style. No options. One lifeline. And we held him to a little bit of a time crunch, Randy. So we're going to do the same thing to you. That's fine. Uh, Let's get rocking and rolling. Question number one. Who was the Cleveland Browns starting quarterback in their last playoff game back in 2002? Snow game in Pittsburgh. Kelly Holcomb. Butch Davis was the coach of the Browns at that time. I thought I liked Butch Davis. I thought they were going to be pretty good. It didn't work out that way. Randy, who was the last Jets head coach to lead them to the playoffs? Sexy Rexy, right? Rex Ryan with Mark Sanchez at quarterback. With a tat, too. Yeah. Randy, question number three. On this date in 1993, Reggie Jackson was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. What team did Jackson appear in the most games for in his career? I will go with the A's. And Randy, what team did Cardinals great Bob Gibson beat the most often in his career? Logic would dictate because they went into division play in 1969 that it was the Cubs. I'll go with Chicago. The Giant has been awoken. We have a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Is it awakened? Awoken? The giant is no longer sleeping? What's the correct? Awoken is correct. Awoken? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, as you heard, Randy reclaims his crown. It's a lot tougher to take the fight when you don't have the options. I'm telling you. What Randy does on a day-to-day basis is really impressive. Sorry, Mike. Randy did reclaim the crown. He beat you three to one, and let's provide the answers. The last Cleveland Browns starting quarterback in their playoff game back in 2002 was Kelly Holcomb, 429 yards passing. He had three touchdowns and one interception. The last Jets head coach to lead them to the playoffs was Rex Ryan. Mike knew it was a Ryan. He could not think of the first name, Randy. Mm. I know you were in the cone of silence. You didn't hear it, but that was back in 2010. It's now the longest playoff drought in the NFL, FYI. Mm. Um, Reggie Jackson did appear in the most games with the Oakland Athletics during his career, 1,346 games. And the team that Bob Gibson beat the most often in his career was not the Chicago Cubs, which is who Mike and Randy both selected. It was the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm. 30 wins in his career. Mike, sorry that you didn't take home the W today, but you're still a Hall of Famer, not only in our book, but on the website. So congratulations. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Had a great run. That is Mike on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk some Billiken basketball. The Bills in the top 25 and our great friend, the voice of the Bills, Bob Ramsey, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. The Billikens, according to the A-10, the A-10 made the decision to 
postponed the Billikens games at LaSalle. That would have been played tomorrow night and at St. Joseph's on Saturday. So it'll be four games in a row postponed because of the Billikens dealing with the coronavirus. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the veteran voice of St. Louis U basketball, Bob Ramsey, kind enough to join us. Rammer, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year to you as well. Well, uh, let's start with this. The the Billikens are going to miss four in a row at least. How how much do you think that this layoff will affect them? Well, I think there's got to be some effect, but it, it seems like almost everybody in college basketball is is feeling the effects of these kinds of things. Does it happen early? Does it happen late? Um, Billikens were playing. Uh, really well. And, um, I think just keep getting better. Um, uh, not perfect, uh, and still a lot of areas, uh, where they could improve. But, um, my daughter is a sophomore at St. Louis university and she went through a quarantine protocol there in September. And let me tell you, it's miserable. You're stuck in an apartment by yourself and you cannot leave. Um, so how will that affect the guys? You know, you'll, you'll lose a little bit of your cardio. Um, you're not working on your shot and all those kinds of things. So it would be great if they could just hit the ground running. Um, the way the schedule looks now, they'll have several days of practice before they play a game. So hopefully some of those things will we'll, um, uh, get back kind of in the groove that they were. Uh, but to, to think that they'll just – be perfect out of the gate, I think we'd be, uh, it's more wishful than logical. Rammer, we saw this when the Cardinals dealt with it as well. It's not just the physical that they need to get back to. It's the mental side of it as well, especially when you think about these young men, the age they're in, having to be quarantined. It takes an effect not only physically, but mentally as well, right? Yeah, Michelle, you're so right. Again, referencing my daughter, she thought she was going to lose her mind. (laughs) And these guys, and now, and, and then think about it. You're part of a team, right? You do all these things together, and then suddenly you're completely isolated. Um, it'd be, and we've got some real tough cookies on this team, but you'd have to be pretty doggone tough to not have it affect you. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a concern. And, you know, you think about the Billiken women's team, quarantined three times. And, um, you know, and this is not just a sleuth thing. It's happening all over college basketball. And it's just one of those things that, you know, maybe hard to measure at first, but when we look finally look back on this season, we may be able to um, put uh, some analysis on it and, and see some actual effects with data. And that'll be real interesting. And Rammer, prior to the quarantine, it was difficult for these players to even just adjust to the already rigid protocols in place because of COVID. I know that the way that they were able to interact uh, wasn't the same as it was prior with team meals, things of that nature. Has that affected them at all from a chemistry standpoint, or is it just something that they've had to adjust to? You know, it seemed from, and and here's the thing that's funny, you know, uh, I've been isolated from the team as well, and rightfully so. You know, they've they've got a job to do. We want them to be healthy and playing. and, And so, you know, there's, they're, even when I'm in the building, I'm far away from them. But I've, I, I thought the chemistry was terrific. And I thought I saw that uh, the guys were playing for each other. And um, it, it sure seemed like they were really uh, uh, coming along together as a team. You know, you're right about the, the way things had changed even before the quarantine. 
it was hard for me to imagine that they never had a team meal where everybody was together. That's just mind boggling. How, how do you keep a team together when, when they're not together, but Travis Ford and the staff and the guys have all, you know, had the buy-in that says this, this is something that we've nobody's ever done before and we're going to overcome it. And to this point they have to the point of being, being ranked this week. The great voice of the Billikens, Bob Ramsey, with us on 101 ESPN. Remember, the uh, the league says they're going to reschedule these games. And I look at the Billikens schedule, and <laughs> wherever they fit four games in, it's going to be daunting, isn't it? Yeah, it really will. And, you know, there are some teams like um, in the Atlantic 10, like Duquesne has only played a couple of games. and uh, But fortunately for them, theirs were the non-conference that were just whacked off the schedule. So the uh, uh, the Billikens and other teams around college basketball are facing some of these things. Villanova and some other some other uh, highly regarded teams. It's going to be you're going to run a gauntlet at some point in the season, and you just got to be ready for it. Um, and I think I, I think though it's incumbent upon, and I don't think I've ever heard a Travis Ford team make excuses, but I don't think the media and the fans can make excuses either. Um, this is tough on everybody, and um, you just you take what's in front of you and and attack it. And uh, I would expect that um, that playing games is uh, while it can be fatiguing, the Billiken depth will help them more than maybe other teams who don't quite have that kind of depth. We got word over the weekend that both Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin are not going to take advantage of that extra year afforded them by the NCAA and what fabulous Billikens they've been. But it'd be nice to play games and get those guys into more tournament action and see what they can do. Yeah, you know, the uh, uh, with the news that, uh, that March Madness is going to be in a, a, a not one big bubble, but in and around Indianapolis, um, I'd love to see those guys stay there for three plus weeks and uh, end their run as Billikens um, uh, in a big, big way. They're two of the all-time greats, and um, I, I think that that's certainly the right decision for them. And I don't blame them one bit. And uh, it's you know, once they finish the task here, they'll absolutely be ready to go make a living playing basketball. And, uh, two great guys, and so I think that was the right call. There was a time about a decade ago where you, uh, and I, I reference this because of the fact that the trip to Philadelphia was canceled. Didn't you guys have like eight days in Philadelphia a few years ago? Yeah, you know, fortunately it was a blizzard. It was a huge blizzard, and um, Earl and I said, we can't take this. We're not staying here. You can, you can, you know, two or three Philly cheesesteaks a day. After about that fourth day, you've, you've created problems for yourself, my friend. And uh, so, so we, uh, we uh, and by the way, I think that is all they serve in Philly. I know that's all I eat there. Um, we were able to get a train out to Pittsburgh, who had the airport had dug out and, so we were only there about half of that time because we got to Pittsburgh and then got a flight out of Pittsburgh to St. Louis. But, yeah, the team was was blizzard in, and it was miserable. And, uh, Bob, I got to tell you, I have been flummoxed, and I know that you aren't flummoxed by this. Who's going to hit one, two, three, four for the Cardinals? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, first, the answer is apparently nobody. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that's, 
that that seems to be the problem. Yeah, you know, we as as we as guys start working out and stuff again, we get we got to talk about this because you know you don't have any or not any very few actual candidates, right? You're just going to have to send guys out there. Um, it's this is going to be if things stand as they are, and I hope they don't. This is going to be a crazy season. And who will be the best of the worst in the Central? <laughs> That's exactly what it's going to be. Who's the best of the worst? Well, very well put. Always good to hear your voice, my man. Happy New Year again. And uh, can't wait to hear you guys again on KMOX with Billy Kim Basketball. Michelle and Randy, I love you guys. Listen every day when I'm up. And I'm up most days. Uh, doing a great job. Uh, everybody have a great, happy New Year. Thank you, my man. See you later. Take care. Goodbye. That is our friend Bob Ramsey with us on 101 ESPN. Who's going to be the best of the worst? Rammer put it best. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. <laughs> we started this station. It was 12 years ago, New Year's Day. So 12 years ago, what, five, four days ago. And it was uh, at the old Pujols 5 restaurant. It was me and DeMarco and Rammer. And one of our guests on that very first edition of the Fast Lane was Chris Duncan. Really? Yep. He was one of the first yeah, guests. Yeah, he came over to the restaurant and hung out with us for about a half hour. It was How great. did I not know that? What foreshadowing? Yeah. So that's incredible. It was so much fun, and I think that's one of the reasons that he wound up becoming the star that he, he became. He he was just such a natural on radio. You know, I, I know that you had talked in the past about how he was great to talk to from a media standpoint, not necessarily on the record because he said it wasn't his place. I wonder if it even surprised him how good he was once he finally got in front of a mic. I, I would think that it probably did. That's a man. We wish we could ask that question. I know he had such a great personality. We miss Dunk every day. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, has the Blues culture changed with the turnover in personnel? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. It will absolutely be a different-looking St. Louis Blues team that takes the ice on January 13th in Colorado. No Jay Bowmeister. Marco Scandella is back. He, of course, was there for the stretch run last season. But you have Mike Hoffman. You have Tori Krug. You have no Alex Petrangelo. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko is not going to be there, at least at the outset. And... You don't have Jake Allen as your backup goalie. Michelle, there are a lot of differences in the team, and you would think that with the changes in personality, and especially with the fact that you had one group that was so tight that won the Stanley Cup together, there's an inevitable change in the personality in the dressing room. Of course, anytime there's a change in leadership, there's going to be some sh- sort of a shift, even if it's minor in culture, the way that messaging is deployed, the way that the team interacts with each other. It's just it's natural when you have different personalities coming in that the team is going to shape shift a bit. And obviously a new leadership council because Steen isn't around anymore. Tarasenko, as we mentioned, is on the shelf. Petrangelo, the captain, is gone. So you have a couple of new alternate captains and a new captain in Ryan O'Reilly. You know, our kind of leadership group, I think we've already talked about keeping that culture. And, you know, whether, you know, for myself, you know, only being here a couple of years or guys that, whether it's five years or so, um, guys last year that obviously were missing, but, um, you know, they've created 
this winning culture and, and been so hard to play against and and so close that uh, you know us coming into it we see how effective that was and now it's obviously shifted to you know uh, a few other guys now it's our turn to you know to carry that on you know the you know we have the torch now and we have to maintain that and 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 find other ways to grow on top of it so it's um it, you know it's tough missing those guys you know i think uh it, it's um a challenge but it's a good challenge i think we all know i think even myself you know over the summer knew that uh, it's time for myself to take a bigger role and and be more involved and and uh you know push push myself that way michelle one of the enduring questions in sports is do you win because of chemistry or do you get chemistry because you win? Mm-hmm. From my perspective, when you, you look at the start of that 18-19 season and the way the Blues still talk about how in 18 they they knew they were good. They just weren't winning because they hadn't coalesced on the ice, but they had already developed chemistry off the ice with the Gloria, with the trip to Jack's bar and the the time that they spent together. It seemed like to me that winning was a product of having good chemistry. It was. It it depends on the team, I guess, the construction of the team, but in and specifically to this Blues team, once they put it together off the ice, it seems like things started to come together on the ice. Mm-hmm. And maybe because things started to come together on the ice, they started winning, they started having more fun, they're playing Gloria in in the locker room, all of these things. It's it's a confluence of things right that comes together but to ryan o'reilly's point i think once you establish that even though there are different role players that come in it's going to be still hey a lot of guys in this room know how to win a stanley cup a lot of guys in this room still have that feeling and they're not satisfied and i think when you have craig Bruby as your head coach it doesn't really matter who's the captain it doesn't matter who's wearing the sweater there's going to be a certain level of toughness and a certain level of grit and relentless relentlessness that's required out of a craig Bruby team right. so while the culture and the leadership might shift a little i think the general ethos that thread is still going to be there And I get the sense that, and the Blues players talk about this, that not every leader has to wear a letter that you can lead because a lot of people looked at that fourth line, looked at the Sunquistine Barbashev line in the Stanley Cup run and said, well, those guys were leading by example. We kind of followed their lead or Jordan Binnington taking a lead. I think there are a lot of leaders on this team that don't have letters. I think our captain right now is the perfect example how many people look to ryan o'reilly when the blues won the stanley cup and said he's leading by example every day he is going out there and he is giving every ounce of himself during every game he's the first guy and last guy out whatever cliche you want to use it all was true and applied to him he was leading well before he was the captain and i think there's a lot of young guys in that room that have experienced that with ryan o'reilly and maybe now that they've been on the team for a few years now can look at him as a direct example of somebody who didn't necessarily have that designation that was able to lead. And maybe we're going to see some younger guys step up as well. Doug Armstrong engineered many of these changes, several forced upon him, obviously the free agency of Petrangelo and the health issues of Jay Bowmeister. And Army realizes that inevitably there's going to be some change. Well, I think the culture is something that, that should live on between regardless of one or two players uh, come and go. It's something that I think starts with our just our organizational outlook on how we build teams. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of guys that have been here for a long time, and, and I, I have no problem that the, 
the attitude and the culture of what we're trying to build and or what we have built and what we're trying to maintain is, is going to be there moving forward. So, so it, it does come from an organizational philosophy, but I, I think most it comes from what you have in that room because you can't have a bunch of jerks in that room because that'll throw everything off. Absolutely. But don't you think, in addition to Craig Bruby, a lot of it comes from Army? When when you have a poho who is being this aggressive and going out and making changes and saying publicly through the media, hey, yeah, we opened that window and we want to make sure that the window stays open, that provides a certain sense of urgency and confidence to the guys who are going out on the ice every night knowing that the expectations are there to win. And if you feel that sense of urgency from up high in the organization, it's natural that it'll trickle down. And Michelle, the research conducted by Armstrong and his staff to look into the personalities of people like O'Reilly and Bozak and you bring in a guy like uh, Justin Falk and Tori Krug they're bringing in people that fit like you talk about that organizational philosophy we spoke to Tori Krug when he first came to St. Louis and I was so impressed with him right away his personality the things that he talked about that were important to him it, it just seemed like he was going to be such a natural fit with this group of guys and Kudos to the Blues for doing their research, not only from a tactical standpoint, but from a personality standpoint, because that stuff does matter. And what about the challenge for a guy like Krug walking into a team like this? Yeah, it's a different challenge for sure. Uh, from a personal standpoint, I pretty much could have done a training camp in Boston blindfolded. You know, now I got to come in here and, and learn a, a few staples of the drills that we're going to be doing all year long and, and also uh, get integrated into the system. Uh, the chemistry with the guys on the ice will come. Uh, I want to get to a point now where I don't have to think about uh, what the systems are in a game. I can just go out there and play. So just trying to learn and, and obviously <clears throat> communicate uh, frequently and, and learn everything. <clears throat> I came in here early specifically. That was that was by design so that I could uh, build some chemistry, you know, on the ice with these guys and, and get used to them and uh, just feel comfortable in the locker room. Isn't that what we're talking about? That's a culture part, isn't it? When a guy mm-hmm. comes in early so that he can build that chemistry. There are players and teams, and most of the time guys are in early to build up chemistry, but there are players and teams where that doesn't happen all the time, where guys get there at the last minute and they say, okay, well, I'm ready to play. Yeah, especially during a pandemic, yeah. right? But, uh, you know, kudos to him for getting here early and understanding how important it is to establish that chemistry. But with with that time comes trust in your teammates. It comes knowing how to effectively communicate with them. It co- anticipation comes with that, knowing, okay, hey, Randy's going to do this. I can sense this out of him, so I'm going to... Mm-hmm anticipate by doing X. All that stuff comes with time, but I think that we're going to see this Blues team hopefully put it together pretty early because they do have so many of, even though they're missing some veteran pieces, they do have so many of those guys who are the foundation of this championship team. And they aren't going to practice. Tori Krug talked about wanting to get the intricacies taken care of because they're literally going to play every other day and they're probably going to play, take a day off, play, take a day off all season long. That's just the way it's going to work. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Frank Schwab, who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports, will join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Frank Schwab, who covers the NFL for Yahoo, joins us now on 101 ESPN. Frank, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. How are you doing? 
Hey, good. What's going on? Hey, let's start with this because we thought at one time here in St. Louis that Shad Khan would be able to buy the Rams. Uh, he had a right of first refusal. Well, Stan had a right of first refusal and wound up taking it. But Shad Khan was interested in buying the Rams. Now, we could have kept the Rams here, but Shad Khan doesn't appear to be the, the greatest owner in the world. What do you think of him? No, I, you know, I was reading uh, yesterday, can't remember who I was reading, but the second quickest owner to 100 losses ever, which is kind of a weird record, I guess, but it, it, <laughs> some people track that. And, you know, I, yeah, he has, he, he's got all these different interests, and hey, uh, you know, he's a, he's a billionaire, he's going to have a lot of interests, but it does seem like, you know, the, the Jaguars uh, have not been maybe his, or winning with the Jaguars has not been his top priority. I think that he, you know, he he has been there. He's been, you know, trying to get them into London and, and different stuff like that. But the the winning part of it has has kind of eluded him a little bit. And you know, now he's trying to be a little more hands on. He even said yesterday, basically, like I need to pay attention to who's getting signed and who's getting cut and who's not getting you know contracts and all that. Going back to Yannick Ngakwe and you know a couple other contracts the Jaguars gave out that apparently he wasn't you know clearly you know involved in. So I, I don't know. There's a there's a balance here. You look at you know you don't want an owner two hands on. Look at Daniel Snyder, Washington, who you know basically forced the uh, Dwayne Haskins pick on his football people, and and that obviously didn't turn out well. But you can't be two hands off either. You can't just be you know off there uh, managing your your soccer team and you know, all your, all your other business interests. You got to take so you got to be you know, the, the guy that where the buck stops. So yeah, I think he's been a bad owner. I think that that's pretty clear. And, you know, not that Stan Kroenke was a great owner for St. Louis, as it turns out, but it's, uh, it, yeah, Jacksonville, that franchise, I think it's nine out of 10 years. They've had double digit losses. So it, that reflects on the owner and the owner hasn't been good. Speaking of hot messes, Frank, we have to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> what was your reaction <laughs> to the Doug Peterson saga when he pulled Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld um, in that Eagles game this weekend? I hated it. I really did. I think that, look, I mean, some people will say you can do whatever he wants, and I, I guess, but there's some, you know, there's got to be some respect for the game, and Doug Peterson, of all people, should have that. He he played a long time in the NFL. He's won a Super Bowl as a coach. He's a guy who should respect the game and the integrity of the game, and I think if 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 you look, the teams that sit, some people have argued like, well, you don't complain about the Pittsburgh Steelers sitting guys in week 17. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a game next week. <laughs> they, they have a reason to sit guys. That makes sense to me. We have nothing to play for. This is your last game of the season. It doesn't make sense to me to to, to do what they did. And, and, and it looked like a tank. It looked like we're trying to lose here. And what for? We, we totally overestimate the difference between – for them, it was picks six and nine. Like if they won that game, they were picking nine. If they lost that game, they're picking six. That's not that big of a difference. Look, do I love it if a team were to say and tank for Trevor Lawrence and and put you know suboptimal lineups out there? I, I don't love it, but I get it, right? Like Trevor Lawrence could change a franchise for fifteen years. The guy who you pick at six or the guy you pick at nine likely is not changing your franchise for 10 years. Like he, he, you could probably get the same guy at nine. He could have got at six with teams draft different, you know, at different positions and needs and stuff. So I just didn't see the point in all of it. I, I thought it was just kind of shameful. I don't see why, why, you know, I don't see why he did it. I, I just, the, the whole excuse of getting Nate Sudfeld snaps was so flimsy. It just made no sense. And I think that there's an obligation for teams 
when they can to put their best foot forward. I, I'm not saying to, to play injured guys or anything like that, but if, if Jalen Hurts is healthy, if you know, you shouldn't also be punting when you're, when you're at the 35-yard line of Washington, when you're a guy who's known for going for it on fourth down, as Peterson did. So none of it made sense to me. None of it I liked, and I, I don't – but then again, you know, I, I also – you know, everybody says the NFL should do this and that. What can they really do? How can you legislate this? You, you can't legislate lineup decisions, I don't think. So I just think it's kind of everybody's got to be on the honor system. And on Sunday night, I don't think Doug Peterson was. And, Frank, there's so many tentacles to this Eagle story, not just the Doug Peterson decision, but there's a lot of stuff happening there. You know, In the wake of that game, there's reports out of Philadelphia that defensive players, uh, a couple of them had to be held back from approaching Peterson, that Jason Kelsey and some other people were really upset. Jalen Hurts was distraught by the decision. We already have read the reports that his relationship with Carson Wentz is apparently fractured beyond repair. What do you think the future holds for Philadelphia? Do you think that Doug Peterson will remain there? And what do you think about Carson Wentz? Will he be there as well? Yeah, and these are <laughs> what a mess, right? Like, I, I mean, now you have, and that's the one, you know, the one kind of accountability you have in, is in the locker room. These guys, these players don't care about draft picks. They don't. Even the, you know, everybody's talking about the Jets. Oh, you screwed up Trevor Lawrence. Jets players don't care about Trevor Lawrence. They don't. They, they just, they, that's next year. They don't really care about that. And now, you know, Philadelphia, they have an issue on their hands now, and and Doug Peterson probably didn't make any friends in there. And you know the Wentz thing is just totally like uh, that's just a totally different deal. Where what can the Philly do unless somebody trades for Wentz, and then it's it's palatable at least from a salary cap aspect. They're stuck with him, and I think that's part of the reason. You know, everybody wondered why didn't Doug Peterson go out of his way to praise Jalen Hurts? I think it's because he knew that Carson Wentz. There's a good chance he's back next year. If they can't find anybody to take him in a trade, then he's going to have to live with Carson Wentz. And I think that you know, Carson Wentz, uh, you know, all these leaked reports that he's not happy and all that. Well. Carson Wentz has some blame in that too. He, Doug Peterson stuck with him for a really, really long time after it was clear Carson Wentz was having a bad year. So I don't see where Carson Wentz is coming from here. He he deserved to get benched. He did. He didn't play well enough, and he should have some accountability there. So I don't know how this shakes out. I I think honestly, like I've made the the comparison between Doug Peterson and Mark Rippon, the old Washington quarterback who in 1991 Mark Rippon was a great quarterback for Washington, won a Super Bowl. Had a legitimately great year. You cannot take that away from him. It was not fluky. But after that, nothing happened for him. It was just kind of this one random fluky year where he was the best in the world. And I think the same about Doug Peterson. Like, if you look at what he's done since that Super Bowl year, when he was legitimately great, like that team to, to win the Super Bowl with your backup quarterback is a great accomplishment. Since then, he's been a terrible head coach. And he probably gets more slack than he should in Philly because he did win that Super Bowl. But right now, as I sit here and look, I don't think Doug Peterson is really the right guy for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yahoo's Frank Schwab is with us on 101 ESPN. Let's spin it ahead to this weekend. The Ravens are at Tennessee, and Baltimore is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And Michelle and I talked for the last three weeks of the season, Frank, about how the Ravens are the team in the playoffs if they make it that you don't want to see. And I guess Vegas has has borne that out with them being a a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Right. I, I was shocked by that line, but yet I get it. Like, this is a team that just rushed for 404 yards. I mean, they're, you know, I know it was against the Bengals, but this is a team that really looks like it's peaking. And I think that we always forget about the, the great regular season teams when they go one and done. The Ravens last year were a great regular season team. They went 14 and 2, and historically, they matched up well with a lot. Like, if they would have won a Super Bowl last year, we'd probably talk about the 2019 Ravens, one of the top 20, 25 teams of all time. They were that good. They really were. 
And I think that uh, I think that when you when you look at them this year, they they struggled some, and it's been a weird year for everybody. But what you saw in the last few weeks of the year is the running game really getting going, and if that can open up their passing game, this team can make a run. I, I'll tell you what, I don't think Kansas City wants to see them. I don't think Buffalo wants to see them. It's a tough matchup. The, the AFC's loaded. All seven teams are good. But the Ravens are the one team where you look and you say, if there's one team that, that didn't win its division that's going to come out of nowhere and, and win three games and go to a Super Bowl, I might think it's the Ravens. They're, they're so talented. They're well-coached. Lamar Jackson, when he's right, and he, you know, maybe he was hurt early in the year. He did have a knee issue. When he's right, he is a nightmare for defensive coordinator. So yeah, like again, you said it's surprise. I figured Tennessee was going to be favored, pick them somewhere in there. When it came out minus three and a half, I was shocked. But I said I, I at least get it. I understand why that they're not going to be giving away, you know, the Ravens of value. Uh, Frank, I was reading this morning some comments from Deshaun Watson about the head coaching uh, availability, the the entire situation going on in Houston. We know that J.J. Watt had some pretty strong words about the state of the team, but Sean Watson said that the entire team needs a culture shift. He says, we just need a new energy. We need discipline. We need structure. We need a leader so we can follow that leader as players. In your opinion, who do you think is the guy to bring that culture shift to Houston? It's a really tough thing because, for one, uh, you know, it's not like I wonder what options Houston's going to have. I, I think that they can't just go and and sell candidates on. Hey, get the coach Deshaun Watson. Well, that's great, but you have no draft picks. You're, you know, you've traded away the DeAndre Hopkins. Your front office is a mess. Your ownership isn't that good. Other than the, you're probably going to be, I guess, trading JJ Watt even unless you can convince him to stay. What do you have to sell candidates on the Houston Texans? It's like, aside from, hey, you get Deshaun Watson, that's great. But we, we often overestimate what the quarterback means to coaching candidates. It's a life decision. This is you know, what city you're living in, what organization you're going to be in, the ownership, the GM. And none of that is in place for the Texans, really. So, you know, I, I think that they could want somebody who could come in there and, and change that culture but I think I don't know who's going to want that job, really. But they do. I think Sean is right. They they need somebody. They need a lot. I mean, and this is from top down. I don't think this is just a coach thing. I don't think that, this is just that franchise is just broken. To have a, a player like Deshaun Watson play like he did this year, and I, I saw on Twitter the, the other day, and I believe this. Deshaun Watson, and not that he should win MVP because I think Rodgers deserves that or Henry or whoever, but he deserves some consideration. As good as he was on a team that bad. I don't think there was a guy who, who lifted his teammates more than Deshaun Watson this year. And even if 4-12, and 12, that's how bad the Houston Texans are. So I don't know what they're going to be doing, and I think that they're going to be – it's going to be an interesting offseason for them. They, they, this is a team that – if they didn't have Deshaun Watson, this might be a 1-15, 0-16 type of team. And it's, and it's not going to be easy for them to rebuild. They, there's a long way to go, and, and Bill O'Brien traded away a lot of the draft capital they need. Frank Schwab from Yahoo. One more thing before we let you go. In addition to the Texans and the Jags, there are four other jobs open, Falcons, Lions, Jets, and Chargers. Of those six, obviously it doesn't seem like it's either going to be Jacksonville or Houston that you think is the best. So the other four, what do you think is the best job opening this offseason? I think it's the Chargers. I really do. And that's, I think, one big reason they had to step away from Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn's a good guy, and they won four in a row, and he did have a winning record overall. But I don't think that he was the guy to lift them to a Super Bowl, let's say. And I think they come into this offseason as the number one job because 
You know, we can talk about Trevor Lawrence. Look, Trevor Lawrence might be a great, great quarterback. He, everybody thinks he will, and I assume he will, but we don't know that for sure. I know Justin Herbert's good. I've seen him play. I've seen him win Rookie of the Year this year, uh, presumably, assuming Justin Jackson, Justin Jefferson doesn't win it. So you look at they have the quarterback in place. They're in a market that you know is a great place to live, and there's no pressure there. And I know that's, that sounds like a joke, but the Chargers have no fans. Who, if you go to New York Jets <laughs> right. right now, you know, if you go to the New York Jets right now, you're on the hot seat immediately because it's New York and it's the Jets. You go to the Chargers, it's going to be five years before anybody notices you're there. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's it's one of those things where you're you're you got this big, beautiful new stadium. You have a roster full of talent that's underachieved. I think we all agree with that. With the weird ways they've lost, you're stepping in. The bar isn't very high right now with the Chargers. They've never won the Super Bowl. Every box you want to check, I think the Los Angeles Chargers check that. So if I'm a guy with a ton of options, a enemy, uh, Brian Dayball, whoever, whoever your top candidate is, I'm looking at that Chargers job first. Assuming they pay, I mean, that's a big deal, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, it, the Chargers have been a cheap organization through the years, so if they try to lowball their coach, they're not going to get who they want. But assuming they, in a brand-new stadium, have the money to go out there and, and, and be competitive with these other franchises for who they're going to hire a head coach, I think they get their pick of, of whoever they want. If they decide that uh, whoever it is, uh, you know, whoever their number one, Meyer, I don't know, whoever their number one candidate is, I think once they decide on that, they can land him, and that's a, an interesting spot for the Chargers. I think that's the number one job right now. Frank Schwab, great info. Thanks for taking your time with us this morning. We appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Have a great week. You too. Take care. You can read Frank's work at Yahoo, and of course you can follow him on Twitter at Frank Schwab. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, before we get to your killing me, Smalls, I have a, uh, this just struck me, and I have a question of you. Okay. If you were an NFL team yes. that was had the inclination to pay a head coach $12 million and you were thinking about Urban Meyer, why not offer the $12 million to Ryan Day? Hmm. Well, he, He's younger. He doesn't have health issues. He's shown that he can be a great head coach. He's very charismatic. He is. Check, check, check. Urban, though, has done it longer and done mm-hmm. it at multiple places and seems to have a desire to get back in. And if I'm Ryan Day, I just have gotten things going at Ohio State. I might not be, even though the money's great, even though the opportunity would be great, even though Trevor Lawrence would be there, it does seem like all the stars are aligning. When you get something going, it's harder to walk away. But he's just carrying it on, right? True. What Urban built. Interesting. I, 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 do, I wonder if anybody, why not? At least you know Ryan Day is going to be healthy and he's not probably going to be out of there in two years because of headaches. But I wonder how many head coaching openings that are, or how many franchises are considering Urban Meyer for those head coaching vacancies yeah. are really that concerned about the health issues. Because if I had, if, if I had Urban, but we've had conversations, mm-hmm. he seems to want to come here. I'm going to say, what's going on with the health issues? He's going to reassure me that it's not a problem. And if he's coming back into the game, I'm going to assume that it's not that big of a deal or something that wouldn't be that big of an obstruction to him being the coach. Because that's going to be one of the first questions I ask. You walked away because of health issues. Your family certainly doesn't want you to be in a high-pressure situation. I read the paper, too, Urban, and he's going to reassure me that everything's fine. He's an all-time great. I'm... Really intrigued to see what happens with him. I think Jacksonville's the only logical spot. 
Do you think it's uh, the same deal as a player that he can only get the contract after he passes a physical? Yeah, pending right. <laughs> Urban Meyer to be the head coach in Jacksonville pending a physical. <laughs> Definitely. You're killing me, Small. Okay, Randy. Well, speaking of NFL head coaches, as we talked about last segment with Frank Schwab, the fallout continues over Doug Peterson's decision in Philadelphia to bench Jalen Hurts. And everybody has something to say about it. But I would say one particular corner of our country that's a little bit more upset than others is in New York. As we know, the Giants remained alive in the NFC East race heading into the game. They needed Philadelphia to beat the Washington football team so that they could capture the division title, even though they had a 6-10 and record. And when the Eagles decided, well, I should say when Doug Peterson decided to pull Jalen Hurts in the fourth quarter and and basically not do the Giants any favors, Joe Judge, the head coach, was pretty upset. And he was asked about this yesterday, Randy, and he had some strong words for Doug Peterson and the Eagles. Obviously, players have asked me throughout the day, and, and I just can't express that. I think one thing to keep in mind with this season is we had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay, we had a lot of people opt in. All right, coaches, players, that includes family members as well. All right, so to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day in, day out basis and to empty the tank, and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling practice is gonna be canceled, we have to do a virtual day, okay? To tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the off season. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members and the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. Well, that's good. The fact of the matter is you went 6-10. and 10. <laughs> And you can be as upset as you want with the Philadelphia Eagles. But the fact of the matter is, you went 6-10. and 10. And if you would have won one more game, if you would have coached better, if you would have played better, you could have had that playoff spot. I don't feel sorry for any team that goes 6-10 and 10 and doesn't make the playoffs. You know, hey, you know, if those players are coming to him complaining, say, hey, if you don't like it, play better. Also, why would Doug Peterson care about the Giants and what happens to them? Why right. you know he he is only concerned about himself, obviously. But I do think that Joe Judd br- brings up some great points, and I think he perfectly illustrated why so many people were really upset with this decision. Because yes, in the grand scheme of things, is it better to advance your draft position? Sure. But how, as a head coach, can you expect your players to trust you if you're not showing them mutual respect? You go in there day in and day out, and you're preaching a certain type of messaging. You're preaching a certain type of toughness, uh, competitiveness. You're asking your players to empty the tank and give you everything week in and week out and then when it comes down to it you're going to put them in a position that doesn't give them the best chance to win as a player I would be very if I was out there in that moment I would be very upset as well what would have happened if Nate Sudfeld would have played well we didn't see him in practice during the week that's true we saw that he didn't play well we saw we saw Jalen Hurts not playing well we saw him go 7 of 21 and Doug Peterson had mentioned prior to the game that something like this could happen right there, there was a, 
again, we didn't see him in practice. I don't think there was a guarantee that Sudfeld was going to not perform well. But that was just a bad team. It's Philadelphia was a mess this year, and it, it ended in a mess. But you know, Jason Kelsey, I, I get it that he's upset, but Jason Kelsey also also was missing the other four starters from his offensive line on opening day. But you saw the visceral reaction. We're reading all the reports mm-hmm. that are coming out of Philadelphia that the, that this decision had on these players. Jalen Hurts is distraught. There's reports coming out of the Philadelphia Inquirer that players had to be restrained from, from going after Peterson because they were so upset in that moment. And I just wonder if in that moment, he clearly thought he was doing the best thing to put his team in a better position moving forward. This wasn't just some willy-nilly selfish decision. He thought, hey... Look, look at the state of this team. If we lose this game, it's going to be better for us in the long run. But I don't know if the ramifications that are happening as a result of the decision might be something that he can overcome. And I would, again, I, if Kelsey is that upset, he's the guy that said, hey, so we're going to win with Carson Wentz. I have complete faith in Carson Wentz. So why didn't he act like that when Carson Wentz got benched? Because he wasn't playing well. But he said he had complete faith in him. So he thought he was playing well enough. Sure, but you have faith in somebody publicly, but the tape doesn't lie, Randy. Well, again, <laughs> I go back to Jalen Hurts being 7 of 21. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There's so many layers to this. It's, it's incredible. It, re- it really is. You could really make a lot of different arguments on this, but I think that's what makes this such a great subject. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, so John Elway, Randy, he announced that he's going to step down as the GM. He's going to remain with the Broncos. He's getting elevated into a management role. He's going to be the president of football operations. Um, But there's going to be a new GM in charge to oversee the draft, free agency, and the roster. They're going to work in concert with their coach, Vic Fangio. But he put out this statement. He said, working in this role for the last 10 years, going back to my playing days, I've always tried to do everything I can to help the Broncos win and get better. As part of a transition I've thought about for a long time, I've made the decision to step up into an elevated role and hire a general manager to leave, lead our personnel and football staff. The GM will have final say on the draft, free agency, and our roster. This person will be empowered to make all football decisions working in partnership with Vic, meaning Vic Fangio. And we know that John Elway had great success early on in his tenure. Um, they made the playoffs. They, of course, won the Super Bowl. But since then, Denver hasn't been back to the postseason for a few years, and they... They just seem to be missing on a lot of these draft picks. So while I appreciate that John Elway is going to remain with the team, it's good for him for having the wherewithal to say, hey, clearly what I'm doing is not working, and I'm going to not only hire somebody else to do the job, but give them full autonomy and final say on everything. I'm sure at some point in their respective careers, John Elway has crossed paths with Chris Carter, who so famously said, get yourself a fall guy. <laughs> yeah. And Elway, yeah, who is going to miss on Von Miller with the number two pick in the draft? And who is going to miss on signing Peyton Manning to be your quarterback? But since then, it really has been a struggle for him. By the way, they offered the job to their longtime executive and former Belleville East linebacker, Matt Russell, who turned it down and said, no, I'm going to spend more time with my family. He's 57. said, no, I'm going to I'm going to spend more time with my family. So I wonder how good that job really is. Yeah, aren't you spending enough time with your family or in quarantine? Exactly, right. <laughs> Kidding. But still, yeah, you're right. I want and even though John Elway says that this new GM is going to have final say and is going to be able to lead this charge, it still can't be easy with the guy who was in charge before being above you in the ranks. And is still iconic in Denver. He'll right. still be 
Let's put it this way. If they win, he'll still get the credit. If they lose, he won't get the blame. That's a great point. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. That is your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mack is coming your way at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN and the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest. And our friend and teammate, Dan McLaughlin, joins us for the crossover. Good to see you. Hey, great to be with you guys. Dan and I. Yes, sir. Both need reading glasses these days. Yes, we do. I just put them on. (laughs) I'm looking at the Baseball Writers Association of America 2021 Hall of Fame ballot. Are you ready? Ready. We got Bobby Abreu. Barry Bonds, Mark Burley, A.J. Burnett, Roger Clemens, Michael Kadire, Dan Heron, Latroy Hawkins, Todd Helton, Tim Hudson, Tori Hunter, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit, Aramis Ramirez, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa, Nick Swisher, Shane Victorino, Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, and Barry Zito. Anybody jump out at uh, either one of you guys? I really do think, first of all, there there isn't anybody that jumps out that I say, okay, clear, easy, mm-hmm. unless you're willing to concede that many, many, many players were using performance enhancers when Clemens and Bonds played, Yeah, which I do. And so I, if I had a vote, I would vote for those two. I would vote for Scott Rowland. I would take a close look at Andy Pettit. Now, but he, he admitted. That's right. But he, he also... Well, yeah, he, no, he was suspended, wasn't he? When well, he, he, I think it was HGH. He said, right, that, right. Yeah. My thing with Bonds and Clemens is that they were not, they they never tested positive while there was testing going on. They never got suspended. That's the differentiation for me between those two and, for example, Manny Ramirez, who when he went to the Dodgers got suspended. I think if you were dumb enough to get suspended once testing came into play, <laughs> like. Alex Rodriguez or Ryan Braun, that's enough for to keep me from voting for you. Kurt Schilling will be the really interesting one this mm-hmm. year. He was at, I believe, 71%. Um, it'll be his comments about the writers that will keep him away. Now, he has not been uh, implicated with steroid use no. or performance-enhancing drugs, it'll be his comments about the writers that ultimately will be the ones that vote him in um, as to whether or not he gets in. You know, they'll have to sit there and watch him make a speech, and they'll be the ones that vote him in. And he had some disparaging comments about the writers. By all accounts, he would be the guy that I would think would be the one that would get in this year. I think the one that'll make the biggest jump will be Scott Rowland, mm-hmm. who spent the majority of his career in St. Louis, and I think he should get in, and he's not been implicated in any sort of way with uh, performance-enhancing drugs, and I do believe that he should be a Hall of Famer. And a lot of people will look and say, well, he didn't play, you know, he was injured a lot. You know, I think he played the 12th most games ever at third base. You know, people will say, well, he, he missed a lot of games. That that actually is factually incorrect. That's pretty I, incredible. I, I think he played the 12th most games ever at third base, and um, if you really look at his numbers, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and he's now making the jump 
and I was looking now as the writers, I think it's really fascinating now that writers, because of social media, are putting their ballots on social media. And not every writer, and I understand this, I see both sides of it. I think not every writer is comfortable putting their vote on social media because I think they feel like, well, if I do, there's going to be some fans that really get upset because I didn't vote for their guy. Or if I vote for Bonds or Clemens I'm, or whomever, I'm going to get pressure because I voted for a steroid guy and, and a lot of fans are going to be upset about that. You can't win. you know. If, or if I now vote for, let's say, Omar Vizquel, who's now in some trouble over the last 45 to two months, 45 days to two months because there's um, some trouble in his personal life. You, you just can't win. I mean, there there's some really tricky, nasty situations with guys. You almost go to the situation and you say, this is not the Hall of Fame of Saints, and it is not. You just strictly right. look at what these people did on the field and don't look at anything that's going off the field, and you say, PEDs, um, what happened in their private lives, and you just say they're in. And that includes Pete Rose, all of them. All of them, shoeless Joe, all of them, and you put them in, and and but but you put on the plaque mm-hmm. the indiscretions. I would have no problem with that. I think that's almost the way you have to go. Yeah. By the way, Derek Gould in the last couple of hours has turned in his ballot and put it on Twitter, and it's Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clements. Oh, you, those are his. Yeah, that's his that, whole ballot. He'll be my guest coming oh, up. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, yeah. So well, he'll explain so, that too. Yeah. Good. Uh, one of the other interesting ones is Andrew Jones and. If Andrew Jones is, and I know that Derek voted for Jim Edmonds, but if Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer, then Jim Edmonds is easily a Hall of Famer. I would make the case that easily, I I think I can make this case. I'm not saying that Jim Edmonds was better than King Griffey Jr. because King Griffey Jr. is an all-century performer. But at the time when the Cardinals got uh, at Jimmy and the Reds got Griffey, Jimmy was a better player at the time that that Griffey was with Cincinnati and Jimmy was with Cincinnati. And from St. there Louis. on, right? From there on, he was a better player. He was. Yeah, and right. he was he wound up taking the Cardinals to heights that they reached. And Griffey was, unfortunately for him, injured. And uh but Griffey, when he was in Seattle, was just incredible. It was just unfortunate that Jimmy played in a situation where his teams weren't winning in Anaheim. They weren't covered. And, you know, kind of lost out in the West Coast. You weren't seen as much. I What really shocked me, and I'm surprised that it didn't get as much fanfare as it as it did. G, you know, Jimmy played in the ESPN era where those mm-hmm. highlights and he made so many great catches and games are going on TV more and more. And the highlights were being seen more and more. And he was a highlight reel type player. I was really surprised that he didn't stay on the ballot. And if he would have stayed on the ballot, I think he would have gotten more recognition. I mean, I, I go back to it's an easy one to say, but if, if Harold Baines is in the, the Hall of Fame, oh, yeah. Jim Edmonds is a Hall of Famer. It's it's that simple. It really is. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe Jimmy will get recognition later as they, you know, he'll maybe get the, the Veterans Committee will go back and look at it and take a harder look as it goes uh, through that process. But like Harold Baines did, um, but Jimmy Edmonds is a Hall of Famer. He is. I really believe that. I agree. Why do so, you think he didn't get more recognition? Uh, maybe it's the steroid guys that are still on the ballot that pushed him off. Um, you know, you only get 10 votes. 
and those guys stayed on, and maybe the the voters felt like, okay, I want to keep them on, so I'll vote for them. Not necessarily do I believe that they are. I'm going to keep them on, so I think about them, you know, so they get enough recognition to stay on the ballot. I, I don't know, Randy. Maybe that's part of it. And I, I wonder if he would have hit seven more home runs and gotten to 400. Kind of like Fred McGriff not getting to 500. I yeah. wonder if that had a part of it, what was a part of it. Here's another thing. How's Dale Murphy not in? Yeah, back to is he the only back to back MVP? I believe he. Well, yeah. no, Roger Maris. He and Roger Maris are the only yes. two back to back MVPs to not be in the Hall of Fame. Here's another thing about Jimmy: if if Kurt Schilling is going to make it based upon his superb postseason, post-season. Yeah. performances, then Jim Edmonds, who had an 874 OPS, had 13 homers, 16 doubles, 42 RBIs, and 230 at bats in the postseason. I, I would think that the postseason should be part of Jim Edmonds resume as well if the if cooperstown is a collection of the history and and the understanding of the game so you're walking with your children and your grandchildren would it bother you walking in and seeing a a plaque for pete rose i mean that's one of the questions i think as a voter maybe you have to ask yourself too would it bother you to see shoeless joe up there and or or bonds or clemens and if the plaque said for that particular person, you know, was recognized as a steroid user, if indeed they were. And I'm not saying they are, but if they were recognized and it came out as fact uh, or bet on admitted as betted on uh, bet on baseball, you know, but was the hit king, you know, had 4000 whatever hits. I, I don't really see how that bothers me. It just it's a part of the history of the game. It's a and museum. That's, it's a museum of the game. And, and so that's I really don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I've talked to Marty Brenham about Rose all the time. He believes he should be in. Yeah, I, I'm you know, one of those people that believes he should, too. I, I do, too. Can't tell so the story of baseball without him. That's where I'm at. So, yeah, we'll, be, we'll get into it. I, boy, it's really interesting reading the writers now. Have you been on Twitter seeing all the writers now really discussing as they yeah. go step-by-step step discussing it's really cool. like how morally challenged they are? Putting yeah. their ballots together. I mean, they're they're like torn. And, and this morning, Ken Rosenthal came out. It's a great article on The Athletic. I would advise anybody to read it as he really gets into like Omar Vizquel. That's the one he really is struggling with this morning. Not It's not necessarily like Bonds and Clemens. It's mm-hmm. Vizquel. And it's really interesting. So looking, anyway, looking we'll get into that, it with Derek. Looking forward to that conversation. Okay, thanks. Uh, Great job today by our producer-engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. As always, thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. For everybody involved with the show, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Straight Talk Wireless knows there are plenty of reasons you might need a new phone. But switching to a better wireless provider doesn't have to be one of them. Keep your own phone and save when you switch to any Straight Talk wireless plan, like our $45 Silver Unlimited plan with unlimited high-speed data and 5 gigs of hotspot, plus nationwide 5G and America's best networks. Keep your own phone. Switch to a better wireless plan. Straight Talk Wireless, available at Walmart and Walmart.com. Requires a compatible online phone and QIOP kit. 5G capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. See latest terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. 
Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. 